You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Very good morning to you. Uh, Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this Monday morning. We have a full house. Kevin Cabana's here. How, How are you? you? All good? Yeah, all good. Owen is here. How are you? You're not, you've, you've only got one scar. You didn't get a new one in Chile on Saturday night. What happened? Everybody was just too happy to go yeah. dishing out physical punishments. Yeah, so. being a bit cocky. No, it's uh, causing a bit of trouble. That's it. I'm just, I'm just very, very happy that uh, my fellow county people were also very, very happy. So no, no, <laughs> no violence dished out this time. Yeah, so we've basically between us seen everything that happened in the world. And Alan Gwynn is going to join us a little bit later on because he was at the uh, Ireland game. What games were you at at the weekend? I was at uh, Brighton and Burnley, actually. It was actually a really good game. I went to the game expecting nothing, nil-nil, one-nil either way. But it's a good game. Burnley were very impressive. Really impressed with Burnley, yeah. Yeah, why? Jeff Hendrick played really well. Um, Ashley Barnes up front was really impressive for, for Burnley. He caused Shane Duffy a lot of problems at the weekend, which was a, a slight worry if you're looking at it from, from the Irish perspective there. But Burnley just went back to what, whenever you've seen Burnley being good over the last few years, being a solid 4-4-2. They played Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up front in the two, two tall target men, essentially, but worked really hard. And um, they were a real threat at counter-attacking midfield. I thought they, I thought they held the ball really well. And, and overall... Maybe second half, last 20 minutes, Brighton pushed on a little bit. And Jeff Hendrick, I don't know if you saw the penalty incident, Jeff Hendrick it was a clear handball, should have been a, a penenalty to, to Brighton at 2-0. And, sorry, 1-0 it was. And 30 seconds later, they got the other end, Bright, uh, Burnley themselves, and win a penalty. So, yeah, it was um, it was a good performance though, from, from Burnley. I thought they were the more impressive, yeah. Yeah, you were at the Dublin Kerry game, obviously. Scenes, yeah. I think is the word. Scenes. It was class. It was absolutely class. It, I, there's no getting away from it. The, I was tra- trying to think when was the last time there was a league game that had that atmosphere. Mm. And to be honest with you, you don't actually have to go back that far. You just have to go back two years previous to the exact same fixture in the exact same venue. And to be fair, that very same year when Mayo came down and brought all their fans, it was brilliant as well. Small ground, uh, 12,000 capacity uh, with two big teams is what makes the league so great. And uh, like we, we, we'll get into a conversation later on, I'm sure, about putting teams of similar standing up against one another and how that naturally produces better games. The, the plus side for that was what they showed on Saturday night. The, the negative side to that is that there was plenty of teams of a similar stature going toe-to-toe as well yesterday. We got served up with was some terrible football. Was it bubbling before the game? Unbelievable. It, yeah. Oh, before the game was absolutely outrageous. There was... Uh, a concert? What yeah, was basically, basically oh, Chad right. Band playing. Uh, and for like 90 minutes or something? Yeah, because people were in their seats from half-five. Right. Because the stand is so small. Oh, yeah, okay. So it's, it's not a signed seating. You don't have a ticket for no. a seat. You've got to get in early. You've got to get in early. Like, to be fair, I, I was in uh, the, the media section of the stand, so I just waltzed in at quarter, quarter to seven. And I was like, I wish I got here an hour and 15 minutes ago because the place was hopping. Like, I've never seen, I've never seen anything like it uh, in Kerry before, before a game. Uh, so, yeah, great shout out to everybody there who put that on beforehand because it was a brilliant uh, night all round. Just, like, one quick touching point on, uh, on an overall sense is that I think the biggest cheer of the entire night came after the match when Peter Keane was walking off the pitch. Uh, so all the players had got in or else the players were out doing a warm down and Keane was kind of on his own walking back into the tunnel and the stand erupted. Kerry fans love this guy. Instantly, they've warmed to him. Uh, I don't know, is it because he's completely hyped up the whole idea of being a proper Yera Kerry man in terms of his dealings? And like, he, he seems to just have a great rea- uh, relationship with the fans immediately. And beating Dublin, I guess, you're going to have a yeah, decent yeah. enough re- relationship with any fans. But the thing is, Dublin, I would say, what, 60%? of where they're going to be at in the summer, Kerry probably 80-85%. Mm. He recognised you somehow after the post-match interview? 
Well, yeah, uh, he, he did, like we, <laughs> when Peter Keane was uh, appointed as Kerry manager, I gave the most important analysis of him as a human being. Who is this man? What, what do we know about this guy? What will his footballing philosophy be? Owen had all the details. Yeah, so basically, uh, whenever uh, I was growing up and we were on the way back down to my, to my grandmother's house, which is down in South Kerry, Clorglin is like the midway spot, and Peter Keane's shop, uh, the Super Valley there, has one of the best delis in the entire of County Kerry. So uh, he said to me, thank you very much for the plug and the sausage rolls there. I will say the sausage rolls are outstanding. I just haven't tested them since he's become Kerry manager. So I hope the standards haven't hope slipped. The standard, yeah, but I'm sure it. they haven't. Yeah, no, he's not coasting. You're Anfield. Yes, Anfield. Uh, my first time in Anfield in like nearly two decades. Yeah. Uh, obviously a much slicker corporate. The new stand had been built since the last time I was there. And... Um, and look, you're in the new stand as yeah, well. Yeah. What do you think? We're up really high. And like, it doesn't matter that you're up really high. The view is perfect. Um, and the atmosphere kind of bubbles nicely. They were very nervous, I thought. They were, there was definitely like a, the Liverpool fans are not quite happy with um, the fact that, you know, this might go their way. Mm. It's like, it's just, it's right there for them. And certainly it was on Saturday until obviously Man City put in the performance that they put in yesterday. Uh, Bournemouth nearly scored almost straight from the kickoff, had a great opportunity and Alisson makes a save and everybody's like oh shit this is going to be exactly the same as it has been for the last few weeks and then they score relatively relatively early and they're playing quite well and uh, and then everybody gets nervous again that you know well, we scored early just recently that's no big deal and then they score a second one like well 2-0 is the worst league in football and then the third goal goes in they all start to relax a little bit and they enjoy that and then they're like oh but this means that you know we have the burden of expectation. <laughs> we have to carry this expectation. It's the hope that kills you. So, um, and like I don't know, Anfield definitely has a history to it. That I don't know if you can appreciate this, having you know been so embedded with Everton, but. Like, it's an amazing place. Yeah, it is, it is. The atmosphere is fabulous, isn't it, when it goes there. I, I, I just think what it would be like to be in that Liverpool dressing room, that the anticipation leading up to every game, it's, it, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a derby game or a, a Liverpool-Man United game, whichever one you want to say, going into every single game now at Anfield, the pressure that the players are under, I, I, I don't know if it, if it might become a little bit overwhelming for them. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know. I hope that they can actually maintain a great challenge and we get a brilliant running with, with them and City and Tottenham as well, don't forget. So I hope that'll be the case. But I just think the pressure that's on those players and, and the expectation that's there and... I'd been at Ireland, England the week before in the Aviva, and it was interesting just to compare and contrast how early everybody gets to their seats. Um, it was f- ten minutes before kickoff in the Ireland, England game, and the crowd was like a quarter full. Everybody was in the stadium probably, but they were out having pints. I don't feel everybody's in their seats, and they were singing and they were getting into it. And that pre-match ritual is is clearly perfectly orchestrated to the bit where they just get to at the right time. Um, the song and then the song happens and then kickoff happens and it's like so choreographed that it feels like um, Adrian Barry was there as well he was like comparing it to the Hacker you know this is like the equivalent of and that's great when everything's going well but it's a bit of a burden when things aren't going well yeah. a little bit no I, I, I do I get what you're saying I, I, I just think the play is out and, and that it, it, it seems very intense they say half an hour before the kickoff the lads are warming up and I don't know, sometimes you might Very lose that. <laughs> but I think the players themselves, that, that emotional tension yeah. that's with them from such, what, 45 minutes before the game, you can actually get that little bit of drainage. Liverpool do start on fire, don't they, in most games they play at. How can they maintain that with the atmosphere of the game yeah. half an hour before? It's great. I mean, it's brilliant even when you go to Anfield, when you watch the games and amazing, you, yeah. you're experiencing that. But I just think that from the players' perspective, it's got to have that little bit of, of, of emotional effect on them, I'd feel, yeah. But then if they do manage to win... With all that extra motion, you can just like see how that's going to be a damn burst. 
you know, it's, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, like this, oh, the celebrations just will not end least, all yeah, summer. I know. No football tournament as well this summer. It's a great year to win a Premier League title, so Liverpool will just not sleep. Like we were talking about it last week, kind of the suggestion. I think it was Daniel Harris in the show saying that perhaps this Liverpool team on an individual basis was a little bit overrated. Like I'm not sure seeing them up close and personal in the flesh because you kind of get a re- you do get a real a full realization of watching them uh, in the flesh rather than on television about the, the individual yeah, yeah. qualities of the players. I think you'd probably appreciate that more at the weekend. I think when you see them, the pace the pace that Liverpool actually mm. play at is amazing. It's incredible to watch, isn't it? it They're is absolutely amazing. Like, uh, I definitely can't wait going. Jeez, I've kind of underrated how good the Premier League is. Yeah. Like, uh, it's I like think I think that is a thing, and I'm. I'm I don't want to harp on about that a little bit too much because I think the Premier League does get a little bit of stick. It's been hyped as the best league in the in the world and all this. And sometimes you, you think, mm, when you go to a Premier League game and you see the pace that the games have been played. Even I was at that game the weekend, Burnley and Brighton. I, I I went with probably. I wouldn't say no expectation, but I certainly expecting a bit of a dour match. But that game was brilliant to watch. Real good pace in the match and everything. That game has our best players playing in it. Yeah. And the Liverpool game had the best players from like Egypt and some of the best English players yeah. and some of the best Brazilian players. And you're like, uh, you know, those countries have massive, massive amounts of people playing football. And yeah. this is their very best. And they're playing well out here. Like, we were talking... Before the Super Bowl, you were saying you think it's not your favourite sport, but you think um, NFL is the best sport. And you can definitely make the case that it's got the best athletes in America playing there. But, like, this is the best athletes from around the world playing football. Like, I mean, I don't know. You just come away from it going, this, this is an amazing thing. Mm. And also the football culture of Liverpool. Like, we didn't hear that many Scouse voices, but you heard people who had been, like... There was a lot of Irish voices, a lot of Irish voices everywhere we went in the city, the whole way that um, were going over and kind of making their pilgrimage. So, I don't know. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think what they do as well at Anfield now, we say with the new stand, in behind the new stand, there's plenty of room. They have, a, they have bands on before the game. Up in the new stand, there's even bands playing during half-time, pre-match, inside the stadium. It's, it's great what they've done there now. They have created something yeah. very special there. Yeah. And also, my memory of the last time when I was there was that um, all the area around the stadium was completely dilapidated. But like, it seems as if the club have genuinely committed to helping the local area improve. Now, there's still aspects of it that are um, pretty grim, but like, maybe it's just a lick and, and, and I don't know, a lick and a promise. I don't know, but it certainly looks much better than it yeah, used yeah. to. Yeah, it is. I think it is. I think they, they definitely have generated. I, I think there were, there were problems building that stand with houses and how they're having to develop and buy houses around the stadium but yeah I, it is yeah it is they've, they've done a, an amazing job yeah and then you look at the window and you see Everton over there and you're like oh poor Everton I don't know well, their new stadium Everton's new stadium in, a few, in uh, a few years is that definitely happening the taxi driver was like oh yeah they're getting one down the docks I think, I think, I think it is I think they're very confident you say overconfident but I think they're very confident it'll be done yeah because that part of Liverpool is beautiful. Yeah, down by the docks where the, all the museums and stuff are. Yeah, but you're, we're coming right along the dock. It's it's, it's further out. It's, it? Yeah, it's you're heading actually back towards where say Goodison and Anfield are. It's it's quite uh, run down so al- alongside. Yeah, well, it does. Well, you know, yeah. to be, oh, that'll give the club a footprint and something to. Yeah. I mean, it would be great if they could just share a stadium, wouldn't it? That would have been the best thing ever. Like, it would have been great for the city. Uh, right, let's tell you what's coming up on the show today. Obviously, we're going to talk about the sports pages right now. Liverpool and City, talk about them in more detail around about uh, 10 past 8 this morning. We'll review Dublin versus Kerry, and um, I don't know if you've seen the picture over my shoulder there. Uh, Tommy thinks it's like a Caravaggio, uh, a Renaissance painting, one by the Masters. And uh, he, At some point we might drag him in to describe bit by bit by bit. What, what, about, what about the image of James McCarthy? James McCarthy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm definitely sticking a tenor on James McCarthy's footballer of the year. It's like, ah, oh, bad Gone. timing on our part. Well, we'll get back to it. Um, 
Yeah, and then uh, Alan Quinlan's going to join us around about 20 to 9. We'll talk about the Champions League at about uh, 9.15. So let's uh, start with the newspapers this morning. Um, and City's joy of six, Sergio Aguero with a hat-trick yesterday. And uh, is the time up for Sarri Ball? Who knows? I mean, if it's not now, then he's going to definitely see it out to the end of the season because um, Roman Abramovich is a man of noted patience, right? He's, he's a patient man. He always lets his managers work their way out of through their problems, right? That's happened before. Uh, Tony Ward, ooh, the sting. This one's gonna, this one's gonna sting. I think the Irish rugby fraternity. Shades of Charlton's Ireland in Schmidt's tactics, but winning all that matters. Um, those of us who are old enough will remember that Jack Charlton was roundly chastised by the pundits for um, wasting the greatest generation of Irish footballers by making them play the long ball. That's what Amy Dunphy's uh, theory was, and. Um, Basically, Tony Ward is saying we're playing route one. I, 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 have, I have great memories from that era anyway myself, so, yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, they did reach a World Cup quarterfinal. <sighs> you know, obviously, we don't want to reach a World Cup quarterfinal in rugby. Uh, Maurizio's mess, my job is always at risk. I mean, he's screwed, right? He is screwed. It, it's looking more and more likely, isn't it? That's the thing, you're hearing these little whispers coming out constantly, aren't they? Um, I was listening to Brian Kerr. I actually listened to the full commentary with Nathan yesterday. It was, it was actually top class. Um, the two of them and Nathan, and from what Brian's saying, he actually does need time. He needs two or three transfer windows. Yeah. But we know full well that Chelsea, if they're in a position, they've done it with Scolari, who was a World Cup winner. They've done it with, with other managers who have been probably more high profile than, than Sarri. Yeah. It's the way they do it. Why, why doesn't Roman Abramovich look at what's worked so well at Manchester City, which is get a manager in and give them time, but also under a management structure that works for them? No, I agree, I agree with that. But I was listening to at the weekend, I actually heard Nathan say it. Nathan said at the weekend, you know, the, the, it doesn't seem to be working from how, they're doing, how they've been doing it. Chelsea are the most successful club in the in the Premier League over the last ten years. Yeah. So it it has worked for them how they're doing it. it outside looking in, you know, you look at how it went so sour with Mourinho, how it went so sour with Conte, and what it's doing now. But came off the back of pretty big success. Yeah. That, that what they must be thinking. The head will. They both won the league. What we're doing is a success. What we're doing, youth structure is a success. The players we're bringing through, we're able to we're able to generate income from from the youth structure as well. It's I wouldn't agree with it, but I think internally, I think they think it's working. I mean, the evidence is. It's just, I wonder, have they reached the end of the road with that uh, constant churn of managers? We'll we get into more detail about that when we're talking football a little bit later on. Irish hold on, Irish hold on title slips despite win. Sorry. Um, uh, Ireland trailing by six points on the table and need favours from others. This is because we didn't get a, a winning bonus point away to Scotland. But we did beat Scotland, so, uh, you know, win some, lose some. Uh, England obviously top of the table with two bonus point victories at this stage. Wales also did not get a bonus point win but have two wins um, after uh, a weird game um, from Wales. Uh, questions about Sherlock touch nerve with Gavin. We'll get to that in more detail because we've got some good audio from uh, Owen um, in the post-match press conference with Jim Gavin. Uh, Ireland being vaccinated for Japan is the headline in Gary Doyle's piece. Schmidt says opportunity to bring new faces into squad can help avoid repeat of disappointments at previous World Cups. Um, so those injuries are actually a good thing for us in the long run. And I think at some point he kind of says, ah, who gives a It's the Six Nations. It's not, it's not quite that. If we'd never won one of these before, we would have been even more gutted. We have done well in the Six Nations over the last five years, so if it doesn't come to pass this year, there is a big thing at the end of 2019 for us. That's, is that the first time we've actually seen this yes. interest, admitting yes. that the World Cup exists yes. this year? Yes. Also, Six Nations lads, calm down. That's it. Yeah. A great weekend of sport for me, lads, as a Leitrim and United supporter. Three in a row for Leitrim. United winning and Chelsea losing, says John McGoldrick. Hashtag OTBAM. Yeah. Leitrim flying at the moment. Yeah, they are. Under, Going great. Terry Highlands. Mm. That would be uh, a massive deal for them. Everything's, everything's coming up uh, Connacht's way. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. See what happens, you know. It's uh, like that's the sort of 
league campaign you need for a bit of cute tourism uh, if you come <laughs> up against Leitrim later on in the year, saying, well, they had a good old league campaign. Um, it's good, like, I kind of alluded to it a moment ago, but it's the great stories from these counties are just far more numerous at this time of the year. And like, well, I think, I think what it is, you, you can actually target it, can't you? Because you yeah. can actually, you, you know full well the, champ, the championship's probably going to be on, the, like, be on so many counties, isn't it? That you can target this, get, get your fitness levels at, at such a level that you're going to be able to compete. Mm. Um, that's, that's the way it is, isn't it? The uh, Racing Post, no new equine flu positives as BHA prepares to make call and resumption. So it looks like we're on the verge of a resumption of racing. Um, I think decision day is tomorrow. British Racing took another nervous step forward towards a resumption as more good news emerged from the Animal Health Trust. And then there's um, pictures from the only racing that was happening in these islands, which is um, at Punchestown yesterday. And Dunicoss won. We've been part of Dunicoss's. Yeah, history. But that was nervous. That was, there, was, there was a lot of nervousness around the, the equine flu, wasn't there? Yeah. Certainly when it broke last week, and you're thinking the worst, aren't you? You're thinking yeah. Cheltenham, you're thinking everything. So hopefully, yeah, it's certainly fingers crossed on that one. And I know they've come in for criticism as well, but like, I mean, what do you do? Like, you can't control a virus. It's like, uh, yeah, anyway, it, hopefully it'll be back. But we weren't on duty class this weekend. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, back page of the Irish Daily Mail is Master Plan. Schmidt sees an upside to Ireland injury concerns. And we've also got this story here. Anthony Cunningham not happy with the referee yesterday in Tyrone's draw with Ross Common after overturning a free kick right in front of the Tyrone goals that if put over the bar, Ross Common would have won the game. That was turned over because Ulton Harney went running in to Niall Morgan. Niall Morgan went down like a sack of spuds holding his face. Don't think Holden after Harry. after Niall Morgan had need the uh, the lad in the head as well by the yeah. way and he's on the deck. It seemed uh, that way. He was the lad that got the foul initially. I don't know, but he, anyway, yeah, that was that's what happened initially. Yeah. Yeah. So Morgan played it expertly. Uh, it's very easy for us to say Alton Harney shouldn't have gone running in, but in the why well, so he so he's mate getting need in the head. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, the, my initial reaction is, what are you doing? But then after a while, you're like, clearly, if you're not getting rush of blood to the head in tight uh, games, and when are you getting your rush yeah. of blood to the head? So, but it's cost them, hasn't it? Ultimately? It has. It, it's it's cost them. A second point, anyway. So that was a draw yesterday. Oh, should, should there not be retrospective punishment for you? Said he went down like a sack of We was hit though, was he? He was hit. He was He's hit. pushed okay. in the chest and right. he went down holding like, his face. We only got one. Worse than these soccer players hey. now. Honestly, I've seen it a few times now. <laughs> honestly, uh, well, the thing is, like, the, we only got one angle, but there was two umpires standing right uh, behind the goals, uh, like right behind the incident. And the ref goes over, and the umpires are like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." Like, it's always just like confirmation of the referees' uh, suspicion. You think with the, with the umpires? Uh, back page of the Herald is six in the city for title surge Pep takes pressure off as champs go top and Gavin Ames at Mayo with door open for Connolly so uh, Timmer Connolly the door is still open for him to come back to the Dublin footballers I'm sure there'll be more on that over the next couple of weeks uh, back page of the sun is massacre Sarri's head on block after day of shame for visitors and Pep keeps the heat on his incredible on his incredibles and it's Ole Yours Solskjaer to get United job so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be named the full time manager at Manchester United's Sun Sport understands the decision has been made at board level, although the club may not announce it until the end of. And I'm going to turn the page for uh, uh, the suspicion. 2022, the end of the season. Ah. Uh, so United are, are publicly that won't leak. That definitely won't leak. If that if that has happened, there will be no leaks between now. What are we? The 11th of February and the end of the season. No one will ever break that story in the meantime. <laughs> I mean, come on. They are publicly sticking to the mantra that the search for Jose Mourinho's permanent successor remains ongoing. So that's. A report this morning from Neil Custis that Solskjaer is going Paul to Paul Scholes as well officially appointed as the older manager as well. Oh, yeah? So that one of the, 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 the smaller headlines in the, in the inside, yeah. Paul Does Scholes, that mean yeah. he's gone from BT? Or can he do BTs? No, no, he'll have to. There was a problem over his, his interest in Salford, uh, Salford oh, City. Oh, yeah. 
So there would be a conflict of interest if Salford were to get promoted to the Football League. Right. I don't know. I, they've come to an arrangement on it and how, they, and how they've done it, yeah. So, but he can take the job now, yeah. Right. And, I, I mean, you can probably still do BT, right? Because those games will be Saturdays mostly. No, I, I think he'll no, finish. I, it, yeah. I'm, I, I personally think if, if I was in his position, I'd, I think you've just got to fully concentrate on your yeah. side. All of them are in a terrible position in the bottom of the league too. Yeah. Well, not, not right at the bottom, but they're in a bad position at the moment. So I think that, that, that takes your time up. Does he, I mean, is this the right way for somebody to go? Is it ridiculous that he's getting a job at that level? Or what do you think? Oldham's a bit of a basket case over the last five, six, seven years even. Um, in the bottom bottom tier of uh, of English football, I think it's the first time in twenty five years they're seriously struggling. The amount of the turnover in managers ac- across the board is 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 incredible. More so Oldham. If you if you look at Oldham over the last five or six years, even the amount of managers that are getting five six months changeover, five six months changeover. So it's his local club supported Oldham as a boy pulse goals. It's the romantic in me would say, yeah, great, but th- this is a huge one for taking taking the Oldham job. Yeah. Okay, so on the um, Racing Post cover, I'm not sure when that went to um, post because I've just been um, reading about this from last night, late last night. Uh, the BHA has received four positive tests of equine influenza from Simon Crisford's stables in Newmarket this evening. That was at 11.18pm last night. So uh, there is the Ooh. most up-to-date stuff, um, which means that you would assume that there will be no resumption announced. Supposed to go back on Wednesday, uh, Racing Post. Yeah. That's it, what they said initially, yeah. You, that, prob- you probably need a full week of a clean bill of health, do you, before well, you can actually get back underway? I don't know, because they, they, can, they can say certain yards aren't allowed to go ahead, so that obviously will rule out Simon Christopher. So, they might so many of the yards are so close to each other, close proximity, and that's the problem, isn't it? I'd feel that they've, they've been in contact. It's, yeah. it's, it's a flu virus. It travels... Exactly. Travels in here, so... It, yeah, it's airborne, and, um, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe the right thing to do is to keep it off for... A week, ten days. If it's going to put Cheltenham at risk, then at the same time the bookmakers are all losing yeah. uh, so much money and turnover. And like I don't know, they're the ones who are keeping the race. Yeah. The race well, it is everybody, isn't it? Going, That's so. what we're saying. That's right. Everybody's losing money. Yeah. Trainers, owners, jockeys, everybody. The industry itself, of course. So, yeah. Uh, just a couple of other back pages this morning. The mirror goes with Sari Ball, B A W L. Time running out for Chelsea boss says he confesses my job is at risk. He's there checking his watch mm. on the back of the mirror. It is amazing how that, that that is the biggest story from that game. Not necessarily that City were absolutely unbelievable. Like one of the best performances you're ever likely to see. And I, I think Chelsea played into the hands. But that's just the way it is now, isn't it? You kind of know. You, you asked the question before, is he gone? It's looking that way, isn't it? Like... That level of um, of excellence is the type of thing that we would have most associated with them in certain spurts. Like they'll they'll hit that level and they'll maintain it for a while. Yeah. It's not like they flare up once. Well, I was at I was at Newcastle a couple of weeks ago and they lost. I was at Huddersfield. Stephen Doyle and I were at Huddersfield. We were commentating, and they were all, they were awful. First forty five minutes, they scored a deflected goal, slow, lethargic. I was then at the Newcastle game the following match when they lost. They beat Huddersfield, but. It was What's it, the difference? Slow, what? lethargic, no real movement ahead of the ball. I, I, Better opposition. They actually respect well, their opposition a bit more. They actually think they have to work for this result. No, do you know what I think it is? It's a great point on better opposition. Better opposition, Chelsea at the weekend, Chelsea went and pressed them high. Huddersfield and Newcastle literally sat on their 18-yard box to come and beat us. Give, didn't give them too much space to play in. If you go up against City, I think that's probably the, the thing that you shouldn't do. Um, in, in certain spells anyway in games, you have to understand you've got to press and stop those midfield players, but I think 
what what they did, well, what the better teams do is Chelsea did, went and th- thought we can go there and win the game. Yeah, it is dominating the back pages, and there's just one more newspaper to get through. It's the Irish Daily Star. They go with Sarri and Chelsea boss left fighting for a job after a 6-0 defeat. And they've also got this story here at the top, GEA to examine blows of Tralee. Great headline there. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, GEA disciplinary chief set to examine the video evidence uh, of the post-match flashpoint, which marred Kerry's Division 1 win over Dublin at Tralee on Saturday night. Uh, several players from both sides were involved in unseemly scenes. In the several, CCCC. several is not really true, is it? It was like six on one, isn't it? Or maybe two. two. Oh, it was there was a lot? There was a lot uh, involved. Like the initial thing might have been six on one or two, but uh, certainly there I was see a, two. I see two carry lads. Oh, no, that's sorry, the one. Look at that James McCarthy yeah. there in the back. That's 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 class. The punch, the punch never lands. We should say. We should say. Yeah, that's only a, a snapshot the of facials and everything, isn't it? They, oh. Look at the inscrutable uh, Jim Gavin face. Like, yeah, all right, I just want to walk around that. And then afterwards, asked about it. Like, he literally walks past it and then asked him, and I didn't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think it's going to be hard to actually say who should get banned here. If no one should get banned. banned. No, There's nothing like, in that. I, know, I, 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 even I, I mean, I only saw that. It, it was basically pushing. Yeah, yeah you know, it was enhanced handbags. Yeah. Is what I would. And I tell you something with a little bit of MMA chokehold in the middle of it. Yeah. But you get, I, I get, you get sick of it. I, I, I can tell you, you look back across the course of sport, any of the biggest games and the best games you ever would have watched would have had something like that flashpoints in the game. We were here on Friday. And, and it, it, it makes the sport. We were here on Friday and we were talking about what we were uh, planning for Monday's show and he goes, I want to say, ah, look, sure, there'll definitely be a fight to talk about in that game anyway. And uh, it was very predictable and lo and behold, there was. Well, yeah. the, re- the reason why, the, like, we, you get a psychologist on to explain why a fight exists. It's because these players, especially the Dublin players, just aren't used to getting the adrenaline rush of a competitive game. And then they've got all this leftover adrenaline at the end of the full-time whistle and they've got to channel it in some direction. So they look at their opposition manager and start a fight. Beautiful stuff. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody with a brain cares about that at the end of that game because it wasn't serious. No. No, for, for sure. I'd like just, sorry, just on the brawl thing, one thing that did kind of occur to me is that man of the match, Dara Moynihan, uh, was, of course, the guy who fell victim to that horrible punch from a dingle selector uh, during the wintertime. And uh, if he wants to talk about a brawl, that punch clearly has sparked an unbelievable season for him. Uh, as, as, like, and when it comes to that sort of stuff, obviously those sort of brawls are absolutely horrendous. Yeah. This was nowhere near that sort of level. No, but I wonder, is there now like a fear that they need to respond to that to try and stamp out the other one? But actually, that's the wrong thing to do. Potentially, that, that could be the way they're looking at it. But we'll know probably later on today, the CCCC meeting this afternoon. Yeah. All right. So we had Manchester City 6, Chelsea nil live on Off the Ball yesterday afternoon. Nathan Murphy was joined by Brian Kerr on commentary duty. Here's Brian on that sensational Sergio Aguero performance. Have a look. And another Sunday, second Sunday in a row, we're simply left purring at the brilliance of Sergio Aguero. It's very hard to rank players because different eras, different types of strikers. But what Aguero's done over the last couple of seasons, considering there were question marks when Pep Guardiola came in, as to whether or not Guardiola really fancied him, if he was his type of striker, what has he done to make himself, it seems, be even better at 30 than he's ever been before? Well, he's made himself into a more effective team player. I mean, uh, Guardiola demands um, huge effort from the front players in terms of retrieving the ball, in terms of pressurising the opposition, not allowing them to set on the ball. And, and, and Aguero has had to adapt a little bit to that. In the previous eras, uh, you know, he, he before Pep, he didn't have to do that so much. He was allowed play as a centre-forward, sometimes playing off a big centre-forward, sometimes playing off uh, Edin Zeko when he was here even. But he was allowed play as a, as a, as a kind of a sniffer, making runs in me. But he's, the demands on him now, I mean, his part of his role today was to stop Giorgino being the build-up player in midfield. And, you know, there was times in the game he was chasing back after 
Chelsea's midfield players, harassing them into mistakes. So that's where, where how his game has changed. But it, it hasn't decreased his effectiveness around the penalty area. If anything, he's probably become a bit harder to mark because when he's chasing back at people, it means when the ball is retrieved, he's obviously in a space. He's not in a natural, normal centre-forward position in between two weak centre-halves. He's picking the ball up outside the edge of the box, releasing it early off into the, the two wide, speedy merchants, and then arriving into the box late, usually with deadly effect. Yeah, so that's the, the lads waxing lyrical about Sergio Aguero. You were making the point that during commentary, Brian Kerr said that actually he would have made Raheem Sterling man of the match. Yeah, I heard him say that. And I'd, I'd heard that said that... Uh, where did I hear that this morning somewhere? It, you, could, you could make an argument for Raheem Sterling. If someone scores a hat-trick, you're looking at Aguero, his movements and everything, superb. But Sterling was the one that Brian said, look, just brilliant, scored a couple of goals himself, created goals on, on the day. He's in great form. He's... Well, he's, he's, the form that he's shown this year, he has kicked on to the next level, hasn't he? Even last season as well. What's he added to his game? What's different? His movement off the ball is, is incredible. I think that's the one thing he's seriously added to his game. I think he developed that to an extent on the Rodgers, but I think he's cleverer with his movement off the ball now. I think he, he, he's always got that ability in one-on-one positions to beat a player, but there's something when you're watching Sterling and you, you constantly would have always said he needs to improve running off the shoulder defenders, basically keeping himself on side at times, not going too early, and he's certainly improved that. I think what, what he's doing now, he's not necessarily running straight lines, he's actually angling his runs off the right-hand side, predominantly where he's been playing, so he's running inside the, the left-back, and uh, his, his, his movement is it's incredible. It is incredible to watch. I just need to maybe have a, a bit of a look at his stats there in front of me now, because the amount of goals that he's scored, yeah, he's scored 14 and created 12, 12 assists, 14 goals this season, it's... Uh, it's, it's been February as well. Yeah, exactly. 23 last season. He's, he's well on target for that. He's still only 24 years of age. New That's contract signed. Yeah. He's got his game, certainly under Guardiola. Guardiola's taken his game onto the next level. I think he's listened, he's learned, and he's, he's reaping the rewards himself now. Have they found their best team? Like So uh, the midfield trio was Gundogan, Fernandinho and De Bruyne. Well, David Silva out. He's, he's rested David Silva. I think he's trying to keep him and De Bruyne both fresh for the Champions League. The midfield three is certainly Fernandinho, De Bruyne, uh, David Silva, definitely. And then you're making your argument further forward where you've got Sterling and, and Sané on the wings or Bernardo Silva. I think Bernardo Silva's had a, an incredible season. So you could put Bernardo Silva in and play Sterling on the left-hand side as he did yesterday with, with Aguero through the middle. That, his options with... It's midfield and forward line. It's it's, well, it's it's incredible. It's interesting that we're actually having this conversation about you talk about all those players in the attacking positions and the person who's undroppable at the moment is Sergio Aguero. Yeah. And given his age profile when his position was under threat a couple of years ago from Gabriel Jesus, that yeah. is the big. That's the most impressive thing about Aguero's form really over the last twelve months. Yeah. The fact that he's adapted his game to be uh, a staple in the it is. Guardiola side. It is, and his goal scoring record now is he up to one sixty? I think Premier League goals. I think someone said at the weekend. His goals to game ratio is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Someone might be able to correct me on that. I'm not too sure that. But eleven hat tricks now, and obviously equaled Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer, eleven hat tricks in double the amount of games. Yeah. It's and I know they've got better play. He's played in better teams, Aguero than than Shearer played in, and you've got it. Shearer's record is phenomenal. It is, but Aguero, his movement, as Brian touched on there, Brian said he's become more of a team player. I think he's had to adapt his game. Guardiola has got him working hard. Harder, and that's why he's getting the goals and his abilities will always be there. How hard can it be for a manager like that to actually get your players working hard? Because if you look across the sideline, the opposite is happening. It looked like he was gone, though, didn't he? When 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 Guardiola first come in, yeah, he was in and out of the team, 
Um, still scoring the odd goal. I, I, I actually saw last week, I think it was Guardiola saying, um, or I listened to Guardiola last week, talking about the fact is there was a lot of talk around Aguero when I first came in. I didn't quite like him. I always liked Aguero. I mean, how can you not? But he looks leaner. He looks to me like he's lost a bit of weight, Aguero. I think he's... He's always he's got the build where he's not going to lose that power certainly for for a while yet. He's still got a yard of pace. He's not necessarily uh, necessarily lost that even though he's he's uh, just hit the thirties. And I think in general, I think he's a sort of player that can can continue to get better playing in that system if he's used sparingly. I don't think he, he can play every week. I think you might have to say, well, look, Jesus is going to play a lot of games. Keep him out of the side. He's certainly got him working harder without the ball. That that's clear. When I was when I saw him under Pellegrini over the last couple of seasons, I think his goal scoring rate was still as it is now, but his work rate without the ball certainly didn't help uh, City. And I think that's what what hindered City probably in that in that time as well. Why they weren't necessarily beating sides and dominating teams without the ball, they weren't as good as they are now. If you are a Liverpool fan trying to make the case for them to recover from here, not to recover from here, but to somehow stop what City are doing, how do you do it? Like what what's the case? It, it seems now. It, who said the other week? Somebody said the other week when I was in with them. We were in on, on in studio and said, "I don't think City are going to lose." It was Pat Nevin. Pat Nevin said, "I don't think City are going to lose a game to the season." Until the season. Laurel said it as well. It was Laurel. It was Laurel. You're right, bloody hell. Yeah, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, Laurel said that. Yeah, and we're, you're looking at Laurel going. Hang on a minute. So Laurel said they were going to win, and Pat Nevin said, "Well, I, I can make the case of not losing, but I'm not sure they're going to win every game." Yeah, I think they were yeah. both on the same page. Yeah. yeah, it was the ball from them, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm cracking up. It's too <laughs> early in the morning for me. I don't normally see the. There's, there's only one seven o'clock in my life, honestly. Um, but um, no, I think in in general. You're looking at them in the weekend. Can you see any side stopping them scoring? If the side's going to beat City, you're going to have to score three goals against them. That's yeah. the way it looks to me. You're going to have to beat them 3-2, like Palace did earlier on this season. You're going to have to do something extremely special to do them. So Liverpool have to win every game. That's the way it is. If you're going to win the league this year now, you can't have any slip-ups at the end of the season, the way, it, the way it's looking. Yeah, and that's hard to see, isn't it? It is. I think that the games that they've got, they looked a little bit more favourable a few weeks ago when you were looking at Liverpool's running. You're looking at Man United. You were looking at Tottenham. weren't necessarily in the greatest of form. I know they're at Anfield. Is Liverpool at Anfield? No, Liverpool. Oh, sorry, Man United at, uh, at Anfield. I think it's at Old Trafford actually. But Tottenham. Tottenham's at Anfield. But Tottenham, the way that they're playing and the momentum that those sides have got, I think it's going to be difficult for Liverpool to maintain that level. Both of them have to go to Old Trafford actually. So um, on Paddy's yeah, weekend, and all the City are there, and on the 24th of February, Liverpool are there. That's Liverpool's game in hand. It's a very close standard of running, isn't it? Which makes it all the more intriguing. Yeah. But like looking at well, Man United are going to have a massive say, aren't they? The way, the way that they're playing and how good they're looking, the, yeah. the freedom that they're playing. You know full well that, I mean, what do they want? This I, I think that Man United fans, it's been said, hasn't it? And it's proved that they, 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 they want City. Yeah. They it, want City. Yeah. It's interesting looking at the Liverpool midfield, and I guess the, I, I personally disagree with the question marks over Nadi Keita because I think he's uh, a lot higher. He's, he's, of, he's of a higher quality than people make him out to be. I agree I with was, that, but there's question marks over him. He's, he's not performed this season. He's not performed at the level. Well, like, Jerry, you, you were there. Was Saturday not one of his most impressive games for Liverpool just yet? And you look at that midfield trio of himself, Fabinho and Wijnaldum. Fabinho was really good. Suddenly clicking. Fabinho's looked very good. Fabinho was like killing people. When he first came into that side, I think it was a Champions League game, he played against um, Red Star, the first game I saw him. And he looked slow on the ball, he was getting caught on the ball. Then he played a Premier League game, he was too slow, taking too many touches. It's almost something's clicked in him and he knows full well. That's what good players do. Premier League fitness maybe? A little bit of that. that, This is going to be absolutely frantic and I need to get to a level where I can... But his his close control was brilliant and also he's he's 
got a bit of tug in him that like he left his foot in a couple of times. Oh, yeah. sorry about that, mate. Pat in the arse. Yeah. I've just, I've just <coughs> broken Fernandinho. the shame. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry about yeah. that. It's not insane, though, that Liverpool have been leading the charge in the title all season and there are such question marks around their midfields that if they manage to get this thing right on track with the midfield, which I think Saturday there's a lot of evidence to suggest they have, yeah, yeah. then this is exactly the boost Do you know need. what, though? If Liverpool's looking at one game, I've seen Bournemouth twice in the last month and I saw them at Cardiff, and I saw them wherever I saw them. Away from home, you've got, you're have got you on a run of seven on the bounce losing away from home. You come to Anfield, if there's ever a game, because they play so open Bournemouth, Bournemouth actually think we're going to go and beat you. It's, it's credit Eddie Howe, it's great to watch. But that was the perfect game for Liverpool, and the perfect game for Naby Keita. Naby Keita, I, I would not judge Naby Keita on that one performance. I think he's probably had two or three exceptional performances across the season. Um, if I'm looking at Man City, if I'm looking at Fernandinho and other players in that City side, I think they've had a lot more, cons- or a lot more consistency to their game. That's why he's been out the side. He's only what, he's only started 12 Premier League games. The reason why he's only started 12 Premier League games and always had injury problems is larger down to the fact is he hasn't been good enough. Mm. He's been playing James Milner ahead of him. Now, if he maintains that form, then you, you're looking at a player till the end of the season. Yes, Fabinho's improved immensely. He's he's probably number one choice now in midfield as the holding midfielder. I think he's moved ahead of Jordan Henderson now. That's the way that I would see that. Gigi Wijnaldum has been probably Liverpool's most consistent midfielder across the course of the season. Brilliant finish. Um, yeah, so I think in general, what you're saying, yet yeah, collectively, I think what Klopp does with them, it's real high energy. Individually, City are way ahead individually. Can he play a player into form? It seems like Klopp was almost suggesting that in his comments on Saturday night, that he was like almost, he knew Keita wasn't going well and he just stuck with him. Yeah. I know you're saying it's not, it's not all the questions answered because it's of the opposition. Fabinho not proven that you can play a player. Well, exactly. Yeah. No, you, 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 of course you can. Of course you can. A player, once you get that consistency and you start to get that little bit more confidence, you start to, you start to be a bit more relaxed in your surroundings. There's, there's, of course, I'm sure there's a bit of that with, with Naby Keita. Something that you always overlook, things off the field, finding, finding a place, getting partners settled, children settled, all these sort of things come into, come into effect as well. But I'm looking at Naby Keita maybe in a month's time. Has he had four consistent, excellent sure. games playing midfield? And that's when I probably judge Naby Keita a little bit more, I'd feel, yeah. Well, so Trent Alexander-Arnold came off the bench and Miller went into midfield when Alden went off because obviously he'd been sick over the last few days. It'll be interesting to see who gets in the team when the big games come. Yeah, well, I, they've, I mean, you're looking at it overall and it's, it, they've got the, the Munich game, haven't they, next week. I think he's got to try and rotate them and keep them fresh ahead of that game. That's, that's, the, way that it, that's the way that I would see it. Um, I think if he goes his first choice against Munich away from home, I think Fabinho... Wijnaldum and Milner, I think they're his first choice three, if, if Trent Alexander-Arnold is fit. Yeah, yeah, and that would mean, like, Keita's taking a step back. But then suddenly you have options. The, the, they, they're through that period now where they had no right-back and they had to play Milner at right-back. And yeah. if, um, you know, Alexander-Arnold looked fine coming on. Uh, it was looked really good, actually. Fine to be on the bench, fine to play. Like, yeah, But everybody looked good, so there is, a, there is a bit where Bournemouth do kind of say, oh, you can have the ball. Oh, you're at Liverpool. Oh, you're actually quite good on the ball. Yeah, and yeah. They realise that, and it's like shot, 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 chance, goal. Like, um, Firmino wasn't great. Was like a real focal point, but just touch was a little bit off. Where, where did he play Firmino? Did Firmino play out wide? Because Salah's, Salah's played most of the season through the middle as a nine. Um, it felt to my untrained eye like uh, Salah was actually more right hand side. Kind of, yeah, on the right hand side. Right hand side. Yeah, cutting right. in, cutting in, cutting in, cutting in. And that for me, I, I, said, I, I only saw the highlights of the game, so I didn't, I didn't see that one actually. So, um, for, what he's done well for a, a lot of the season, he's, he's had, he's had, he's interchanged it a lot. So, for yeah. me, of course, can play as a nine, but predominantly Salah through the middle, 
Salah has played straight through the middle as a, as a nine. Yeah, I've, formation here is it's suggesting that Firmino was playing through the middle, Salah out on the right hand side, where he played a lot the last season, getting his goals, created one Firmino, of course. Um, I, I think Firmino has been a, at the level he was last season. I don't think he has been sorry at that level he, he was at last year. I think Mane has been fairly consistent in in the last six weeks. I think that's got to be a big plus for Liverpool in the second half of the season. Yeah, Mane's going to score a goal. Uh, one in three chances and the other two chances could be even better chances than the goal he scores yeah. and there was like a free header which he should have scored from mm-hmm. um, they, this is Brian Kerr a bit yesterday he was like oh you know Liverpool 3-0 up fairly early on they've got to push on and try and uh, you know, make back some of that goal difference that uh, Chelsea have over them thinking oh, it might be a nil all draw tomorrow who knows what's going to happen in that yeah. um, sorry that Man City have over in the ahead uh, of the Chelsea game so it's, uh, I think it's gone from 7 to 10 or whatever the difference is now yeah, yeah 10 Massive, isn't it? They, yeah. they ain't getting that back over the rest of the season, so they've got to beat them on points. Well, if anyone can, it'd be Liverpool. You, you get momentum at Anfield, and they score two or three goals. You could, you could quite easily see Liverpool win 5-0, 5-0 at home. Couldn't you? That's the way that I would see it. I could see that. I'm not saying they will, because I could quite easily see City win 5-0, 5-0 at home against yeah. somebody else. So yeah. I'd probably agree with you in, in that respect. I think it's gonna be, that'll be a tough one for them from, to overcome that goal difference. But if anyone can, it's, it's certainly Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, the long and the short of it is everybody should go to Anfield at least once it's, it's definitely worth going to yeah I think uh, I think I'm not, I'm not Anfield next time I'll see Liverpool I think it's a Merseyside derby Nathan and I are there for that'll uh, be a good game that'll be that'll be a good what's one, the city yeah. like for those good yeah brilliant biggest cheer of the day was when the Watford Everton result came through afterwards <laughs> Watford had beaten everyone 1-0 the crowd said yeah yeah I'm like oh I didn't realise yeah oh it no. is yeah it is it is. It would be quite the sort of bookend of a terrible run of form for Everton, oh. to, which started with Jordan Pickford's calamitous mistake. It is. And to end that run of form, beating Liverpool wouldn't be a bad way it's to do it. It's the only redeeming grace this season. Everton have been absolutely dreadful across the, across the season. I, I don't see any identity in Everton's side. I don't see how they play. I don't see, you know, I can look at Everton and think they're a long ball side, they're a passing side, they're a... I don't, I don't see anything with Everton. I really don't, and that's the disappointing thing. So this will redeem them if they were managed to get something in that Merseyside derby. Yeah. What would you do with Marco Silva? Oh God, I, I don't. Everton have had too much change since Moyes left, and that, that's the way that I would, I would see it now. They've, they've not really got that consistency across, across the board, and. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's too early yet. Certainly, give them to the end of the season, and let's see, see how it goes, and. Let's look at it then, I think, because Everton and Everton are not going to finish in the top six now. They're not going to get relegated. I think it's about trying to find some consistency in the second half of the season, get some results together. Let's find a plan and, and maybe something to look forward to in the summer. Yes, there will have to be new signings that's going to go into the place, but um, well, I don't know. I, I think it's too early to suggest he's, he's going to go, but which the suggestion is that he, that he could be. Are they better or worse than when they had Sam Allardyce as manager? Um, no better, no worse. I don't think they're playing any better football than that. Maybe slightly, maybe slightly better football, but I don't necessarily see a, a no. I don't see an improvement. I don't know. You can uh, hit us up on the hashtag uh, OTBAM if you're watching on Twitter. Let's move on to uh, GAA because here's um, Jim Gavin chatting to a bunch of people, including our own, on uh, Saturday night in Tralee, responding to the story regarding the future of Jason Sherlock and Dear McConnelly that appeared in the Irish Mirror. How, uh, why journalists are, I suppose, how they, how they, how they report um, on conjecture, on rumour, that's up to you, that's your profession, not mine, so I can't comment on that. But he wasn't gone from the management not team? In, not in the least, no, not in the slightest. So you've no problem with the documentary? I thought it was an excellent documentary. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, you know, Jason was very brave to do what he did, and uh, 
you know, we're very proud of him. And if you can watch that documentary without getting emotional, well, then you've got a heart of stone. So uh, it's well worth viewing. And that Jim McConnelly story mentioned he's in training with Brian Cullen, which of course could mean he's going back with the hurlers either. So uh, we, we won't get too carried away that he's back with the footballers, but you can't confirm that tonight. Well, I can confirm that's not the, that, that is certainly not the case. That he's not training with Brian Cullen? Absolutely not. Right. Jim, I understand uh, Jim had a challenge match for Vincent uh, Sally Bolton this morning. Now, I know you were asked two weeks ago, but I suppose it, there had been talk okay. whether he was going to be back this club. Questions or not. are just about tonight's game. Just about tonight's game, okay? Okay. Um, I, you know, I was, I was obviously we're away travelling all day f- for this game. So, you know, if any player wants to, you know, volunteer their time for the county football, you know, we, we, we'll always look at them. Um, and and uh, the door has always remained open for any player who's who's either been with us in the past or who wants to join us, uh, who, who hasn't been in there, t- who hasn't been on the squad yet. And um, you know, I think you saw a couple of players there tonight, um, p- putting their hand up for 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 uh, for, for a jersey and. Uh, you know, we'll continue to look at the circus in the, uh, in the coming weeks and club games next weekend to see who, who we can bring in. Well, uh, that was the fastest storm in a teacup that ever happened in uh, the GAA world. On Friday, according to the Mayor, J.O. was gone. And then on uh, Saturday night, he's on the bus all the way down to um, Tralee. And uh, there you go. And it's great that he is back because obviously he's um, had a role to play and will have a role to play into the future. And we certainly bought that story on Friday and ran with it and shouldn't have, it turns out. Yeah, definitely shouldn't have. Um, yeah, he's definitely there. He was uh, sitting right in front of me for a lot of the game. Sitting beside Keno Sullivan, who's rocking one of the best moustaches I've ever seen. Oh, yeah? Spoiler alert when he gets back on the pitch. Uh, so, yeah, he's up in the stand. So, I'm sure we'll see him out on the pitch as a, as a runner again in the next couple of weeks. The Connolly stuff, um, look, that I, doesn't look like... I'd be surprised if Connolly plays Gaelic football for Dublin this year. Mm. At this stage, yeah, I think given the preparation, what they've done up to now, that's the thing. If we look, if we, we're judging it on previous seasons, then that will be difficult. How did he? How did he look when he when he was back for Vincent? Do we know that? Don't know. I didn't hear. I yeah, didn't hear, I think I think the, it's Saturday in a, a challenge match, wasn't it? Yeah, he'd been training with the club, was what I'd heard, mm. and so you know, I mean, look, maybe his form is astounding, and he clearly is an amazing athlete. So yeah, he probably could get back to intercounty. I'd love to see him, but I think I think we, we all would. You want to see want to see the best players. He's phenom- he is phenomenal, isn't he? Phenomenal yeah. talent. No clucks and goals. How did they get on with their kick-out strategy? But I thought when Kerry pressurised the cornerbacks when they were when Comerford went short, Dublin looked in a bit of trouble quite often. Now the thing is, it wasn't exactly man-to-man that Dublin always had a, an extra man somewhere in their full back line, so they did have an outlet to go with it. It was when they actually gathered the initial possession that Kerry pushed up on them quite hard, and then they were under a bit of pressure, which is. Sort of the middle ground. Sometimes you kind of take nuance out of the equation when you talk about Stephen Cluxon's kickouts. You either push up or you sit back. You, and if you sit back, you're not pressing up on the kickout. And if you push up, you are pressing up on the kickout. There is a middle ground here where you can maybe drop a body or two off and still press up once Dublin have the ball in the hand. Once you know which wing he's gone to, and you can concentrate a couple of bodies onto that side. And they made a couple of turnovers like that. I thought it was very, very effective. And if the same player, if Stephen Cluxon was in goals for Dublin, a lot of the same kickouts would have happened. The thing is, though, Cluxton just brings an extra element of quality with the mid-range kickouts. So, Comerford went long a couple of times successfully, went short a couple of times successfully, but it is that mid-range kickout, isn't it, when Johnny Cooper's going out around the fort, he's kind of peeling back, and then there's, there's kind of like your basketball-style screening moves almost. That's when Cluxton really hits his man right in the chest, right on the sponsor, and that's what sets him apart from the rest. The results of, like, what, what is he doing in terms of calling those moves as well? Is the movement of the defenders different when Cluxton is in goals? I think more analysis is required of that over the next couple of weeks. You've also got to remember as well, 
that Kieran Uncle Kenny, his movements and his ability to win possession and actually start attacks from inside Dublin's own half quite often is pivotal as well. He's only come back from New Zealand over the past a couple of days really over over the last week and a half maybe uh, so he like he's a humongous addition to the team that really it was Brian Fenton and James McCarthy who were keeping the team ticking over uh, on Saturday night but Kilkenny's ability to to be the pace setter is quite different to those two okay so you're not quite getting carried away and yet you're getting totally carried away well, like, perfect perfect league scenario for Kerry but like what what is get what is getting carried away here you believe they could be competitive in Cook Park in August but like against Dublin like the, the idea that Kerry are back, I'm not like where where exactly did they go? Like they yeah, they didn't reach an honor semi final last year. That's where they went after. So that that happened because of a, a massive underperformance against Galway in Croke Park last year. And I, I really think that suddenly the whole narrative changed around that team because of one massive underperformance on a crap day against a team that are so bloody annoying to play against. And to be fair, Kerry should have been better. If they really were up to Dublin standard, they would have beaten Galway that day. I, I'm not questioning that. But we still have to accept the fact that it was a massive underperformance from Kerry on that occasion. And that is what has dictated the narrative. Like, go, go back to two seasons ago. They drew with Dublin at home. They beat them in the league final. Like, they haven't played Dublin in a championship match since 2016. I think Kerry and Mayo just have an extra gear to go to when they come up against those blue shirts. And I'm sticking to that, I'm sticking to that like take. Like Man City. That's that, like, what we saw yesterday between Galway and Monaghan proves that half the reason why last year was so bad in the All-Ireland series was because of the opposition to uh, Dublin. <laughs> like, no, it's true. It is, it is really true. If, if Kerry and Mayo were in the last four mix, we might have had a much more entertaining and Yeah, totally. I think, I think everybody believes year. that, really. But no, I, I'm sure there's people out there who are like, oh, Galway beat Kerry, therefore Galway are a better team than Kerry. Nonsense. Absolute and utter nonsense. Well, they matched up well against them. They matched up true. well against them. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking about when, when I'm saying being a better team than Kerry in terms of challenging Dublin, in terms of yeah, stopping okay, the five but, in a row. But I, I, don't, I don't think last year's Kerry team were going to... I don't think that they were going to get within five to seven points because they didn't show any signs of it throughout the year that they were building to something, to a, a single one-off performance against the Dubs. Mayo did pretty much the same thing the previous year, showing zero signs, almost got knocked out by Fermanagh, almost got knocked out by Ross Common, and then kind of came up on the big day. And Like, that sort of stuff does happen it does, in it championship does. football, the way the structure is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're, you're like, um, you're banking on a, an amazing one-off performance as opposed to... So I, what I'm saying here is that there are the green shoots of a Kerry side building something, doing different things getting Tommy Walsh back on. Um, they went very direct early on. They scored 1-1 yep. one, one off that. Like They're mixing stuff up in a way that looks like they're analysing. And not that the, the previous carry teams weren't, but like there's been an infusion of new blood and it just change happens and it brings different things. For sure. They're in a bit, they're, I, I think they're in a better place to not get caught cold this summer like they did last year. I, I definitely think that they're going to be harder to beat. How much the gap is closed between them and Dublin, I, I think very much remains to be seen. Like, I, I think you add in any of Dublin's missing players, any of them, like in terms of the big three that they're missing, Cluxton, uh, Kilkenny or O'Sullivan, and Dublin draw or win the game. Like that, That's the, the one or two point swing that they needed. You add in two of them, like Philly McMahon as well. Let, let's not forget the sort of edge he might have brought to the game as well when required. Then they probably win the game by a couple of points. Who are Kerry missing? Well, Kerry are missing David Clifford, who is going to come back and probably have a sublime season. I still, maybe it's my heart ruling my head, but I still have hopes for James Dunne to come back. There is also like the the question David of some Moore other players. From the start. Uh, say that again. David Moore from the start. From the start as well, but there is also the question of a couple of players that have yet to really come into the national consciousness. Uh, like Gavin White was sublime for Kerry last year, was an All Star nominee. He's in with Croaks. Croaks' goalkeeper Shane Murphy is probably still the number one for Kerry. Kevin McCarthy, who's been uh, out of action for Kerry for a while, played for his club Kilcommon uh, in an intermediate final in Croke Park on Saturday. He scored three seven 
all from play as an inside forward. Kerry have never really tried him as an inside forward. Might be worth an experiment at some point this season. And of course, the other wunderkind from Kerry, David Shaw with Dr. Crokes, who's out of action at the moment. The problem is being a kid and trying to work your way in after the league is a bit of a tough ask. But he is an unbelievably talented player. And of course, they're getting better as well, but I think they're 80% of where they're at. I think that's 60. A, it is a difficulty when, when we're judging the league. And, you, and we know full well it's, it, it is meaningless once, once we come towards the summertime. We, we know that, but... What do you do as a coach, as a manager? New co- new managers at, at at Mayo and Kerry, and you've got to just get your side right, haven't you? Get it, get them playing to a structure, to a way that you want them to be hit in the summer in in that sort of style of, fo- of football. That's the way. That's the way that it is. And I, I think I think there are I think there are real good signs. I think across the board I do too, that we're yeah. going to see a better championship this year. That's the way that I would see it. Yeah, it's mad how quickly um, there's been an impact in Kerry and Mayo. The only difficulty is that some of these players can look great now when the ground is heavy and the ball is travelling a little bit slower in May when the weather starts to get a bit better. In June and July, when it gets good, and then in August, yeah. are they the same players? I think they've both got good running games as well, though. Haven't they? That's the thing. They're both power, both powerful sides. I, I, the way I'd look at it. So, I think in general, I think it, 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 I think they'll improve. I think they'll get better with with the better weather. You're pretty excited about Mayo, though. No, I think. Uh, Come on, the two years are getting carried away. Oh, the lads. We had Joe. Joe was taking the piss out of me. I'm like, no, I'm not. I, I, the reason what it is, I, I think the constant criticism of Mayo over the last few years is there's no talent coming through. Now, clearly, we can see. Whatever James Horan has done with, with with the team up there, that there are several talented youngsters that are going to push the mainstay of that side that's been there for such a long time. There's been no Colin Boyle across the stage. No Kevin McGotten's played a, had a few minutes coming off the bench. Seamus O'Shea. So there's, there's 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 several players. I think and Killian O'Connor, of course, who's been you know a main main point scorer over the over the last what six seven years now, whatever it is. So I think those players out and it. It needs must that we've had to maybe introduce one or two of the, of the younger players that's come into the side, and they've, they've performed well. But I'm not saying that they're going to be the answer f- going further forward, but it's certainly giving James Horan great options to the summertime when, when, when everything's going to take shape, that, that there are several really good options now, rather than actually looking for, say, we've got Conor Loftus coming off the bench, and Conor Loftus has not even been involved yet. So there's, there's been limited options coming off the bench and making a huge impact on the side. I think that's... The hope that that Mayo, we know. Did, why, why did either of you feel this way twelve months ago? <clears throat> no, I didn't. I didn't actually. And after off the back of the the All Island in, in twenty seventeen, going into last year, there was a bit of a doom and gloom. I was up at the Monaghan game for the first game of the season. I was at the Galway game um, in Salt Hill, and there wasn't that real pace about the side, and 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 understandably so. A bit flat. There yeah. was you know to lift themselves again, and that I think that went across the season. And I know Owen t- touched on it before that. Mayo were probably flat the 27th season. Across the season, they probably were flat. They were just getting through games, reaching that peak towards the All-Ireland final and semis. I think now in general, I think, yes, they're at a level now which is much greater than it was last season, but I think I think they're going to improve. I, I do generally think they're going to improve. I think they're going to get fitter across the season. I think they are ahead of more sides than it is now, but I think they're going to improve. I think they're going to get better across the season, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But like last year, like there was a great new dawn for Kerry because they had Sean O'Shea and David Clifford. So And they won their first two games. They went to Castle Barron one. They'd beaten Donegal on the first day. So there was this sort of sense. So could get caught out cold twice. But just on, on uncovering new players, uh, Dublin have also, let's not forget, uncovered yeah. a couple of great new players like Darren Gavin, who started for Dublin on Saturday night? I was really impressed with him, and like it is often those games. What type of player is he? Always playing midfield, big player. He, like the like backing up to midfield, almost kind of going three versus three in midfield. Tommy's purring in my ear about his left foot. Yeah, yeah. Not a good left footer. Honestly, there you go. <laughs> you really can't be a good left footer. Phil, Phil McDonough's the one to look out for for Mayo this year. Good left footer as yeah, well. He's yeah, he's excellent. 
All right, so a lot of excitement um, from everybody, apart from the Dose fans. We'll see how excited the Dose fans are in just a minute because uh, Darren Cleary's out, so we're going to get to him right now. Uh, in the meantime, on yesterday's Sunday pay-per-view, Marie Crow and Jack Anderson reacted to a very powerful interview with Eamon McGee in the wake of the recent loss of a teammate. Have a look. Before I read this, I'd read pages and pages of analysis and reports on attendances and finance and ticket prices. And when I read this, I just thought... Everything that is really fundamentally important about the GAA is actually in this. That, that other stuff is just incidental because what the GAA gives people and what the GAA about, is about is reflected in this piece. It's about community, values, support networks, friendships, um, all those kind of things. And this piece with Amy McGee was just, it captures all of that because it just kind of documents... What has happened in Guidor, um, the, deaths, uh, the death of uh, Michal Rortri was on their, their team and he was a friend as well as, as a teammate. And like the headline of it at the, at the very top, he said, I, I was his biggest influence. You think, did you make enough of an effort with him when you had that influence? And straight away, you're just thinking about what that community mm. are going through, um, the effect that's having on everybody up there, a really small place. But as you read it then, you, you kind of realise that something tragic has happened but they have the GAA there to support them and that means mm-hmm. an awful awful lot but it's just a beautiful piece because like the easy thing to do is not talk about these things or not talk about these people and they just become a number like a you know a, however number of, of people have died on the road but Amy McGee here he he makes us realize that um Royce as they call him you know he was he's more than a number he's a friend he's a yeah. person he's a he's a brother mm. he's a teammate yeah, that um, full chat is available on our YouTube channel. It sounds like a great piece. You can uh, obviously dig that out, uh, the original piece, and then the conversation about it as well from the Sunday Times, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Now, Darren is here. Darren, how are you? I'm good, Jerry. You? Yeah. A chastening experience for the dubs on Saturday night? I was just trying to figure out the last time we've lost, what, three out of four games? 2015. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> that was quick. I certainly, certainly lost uh, Cork and Kerry in 2015. Uh, back to back, I think early days. Uh, so I'm trying to think, like if you include, you're obviously Burn including Cup. the Open Cup. Cup. Yeah, that was, I think they got beaten in 2015 Open Cup as well. So uh, yeah, nobody can. Oh, the they'll Cup. be fine. They'll be fine. It's a crisis, oh, right. Darren. Is it? Yeah. Actually, 2015 was the start of the 400 roads, but it's uh, it's bookended it nicely. Yeah. I'm not going to press the panic buttons yet. They'll um, be fine. Yeah, like they're they're still operating a couple of weeks behind. I think the top teams in Division One, the extended break did that, like. It's a good game in that they were so close to Kerry, considering I'd say Kerry are probably not far off where they'd like to be in May and June time, while Dublin are still nearly weeks off. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll like yeah, a, I don't think Kerry are operating at a pretty high level for this time oh, of year. Oh, compared to Dublin, compared to Dublin, they're at a way higher. at this time of year? Uh, well, as I say, like they won their first two games, including a win in Castlebar uh, this time last year. So I'm definitely hesitant to get ahead of things. I think, I think the new coach effects definitely helps. Yeah, the it's a bit of a well. bounce like, off that as well. It is. The, the, the players are naturally going to be just raised ever so slightly. As, as crazy as it sounds at times, and players should shouldn't necessarily be, but that, that'll be that'll have a factor as well. They're a lot bigger. Or like uh, a lot of time is spent in the gym over the course of the winter. Like uh, you do wonder though if that kind of winter of bulking up will actually have an effect the next year because sometimes you're just so worn out by the time the championship actually gets going that perhaps this is, this is really the transition year. Isn't that the benefit of having all the kids, though, that like, you can throw them in? That was what he said afterwards, you know, what did you learn tonight? We learned we can throw them in. 
Well, that's true. Well, to be fair, one of the kids that was joining him was David Morn off the bench. So it's, a, it's, not, it's not a bad sub to have. But like, that is the depth that they're creating, that some of the players that, are, that were starting on Saturday night will become the impact players off the bench. Tommy Walsh was another one they threw in as well. Very mixed reaction to him actually talking to people afterwards. Some people say he played poorly. I thought he did very well. I thought he did really well up in Breffney Park as well the previous week. I think there's a future for him. McCarthy had to go back and mark him. Yeah. Um, like the, the, like the, the subs were they very... three points off James McCarthy? Is that what you... No. No, James Two. McCarthy kicked three James points McCarthy himself. Kicked three points. Sorry, yeah, McCarthy was Dublin's best player, I thought, on Saturday yeah. night. Uh, and like player of the year, James McCarthy. Two years too late, but it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and considering he hasn't been around for a couple of weeks, I thought he did really, really oh, well. Like Jack McCaffrey coming back as well was it? I hear. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah, like, at least at least someone's going to kick the ball, uh, keep the ball kicked out to them. Like McCarthy is just so good to watch. It's like it's like he's just toying with everybody. It's like you know. Uh, it's how I imagine, say, an over-eager coach gets involved with a kids' team where it's like, I just really want to play and <laughs> I get involved with this team that are clearly way below my level. That's what James, that's what James McCarthy looks like when he's playing Ken football. Ken used to do that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he just looks like he's not trying at all. And obviously he is, and he was Dublin's best player on Saturday night. It's a, it's a blind player. It's actually a great shout for Ball of the Year. I still think Dublin won't operate at the level they need to be at until Cluxon's back. Oh, without um, question. Comerford is... He still looks jittery in a lot of ways, which, you know, he's a young guy... He, he, can't be too surprised by it, but he doesn't bring the stability that Cluxton standing over the tee does. Where the players just know mm. it's coming to them, it's an advantage already in that they know his pinpoint accuracy and they can generally read what he's going to do. They yeah. have an idea and get them and get Dermot Conley back. <laughs> get him back in. He's he's the, he's the best footballer I've ever seen. Get him really? back in. Best you've ever seen. Oh, he's unbelievable. He is unbelievable off both feet. I've never seen a player. So elegant off both feet. He is incredible. To be fair, I suppose you did only start watching football a few years ago. Yeah, that's it, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Better than Kieran McDonald? I was. Well, I, I just think I've never... I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would have been coming in, in and out of a lot yeah, of games yeah. when, I, when I was playing. I, I didn't see a lot of games while I was playing myself, yeah. missing games here and there when I was actually involved in games myself. But having watched... A, I've watched a lot of football over a number of years, but I just think I've never seen a player control a game like he can. Yeah, it's, it's probably yeah, probably the best player of this decade. Jim's uh, little swipe at the media kind of annoyed me. That kind of bothered me when he said um, about I, I don't know what way you do your job, but it's, I deal in facts. I thought that was a little bit rich, considering that everyone went to ground for three days and no one in the Dublin County Board decided they would course correct or this or try and fix it. Which leads me to believe maybe it's a conspiracy theory that there was something in the idea that Sherlock was gone. No, I don't think there was. You don't think so? I don't think there was at any at any stage. I don't think I think so. We did a bit of work on it a couple of weeks back and found out at that stage that this happens every year that that various coaches come back at different times because, as they say, it's such an unbelievable um, commitment that is requested for everybody who's involved in that backroom team. Like we're talking about endless training sessions, endless one to ones with a massive extended panel, and then the the, the fringe players in the panel who are next year's. Um, who are next year's uh, young players coming through, and I, I don't think there was ever any hint of anything beyond he took a couple of weeks off, and that was it, because they're so busy. So that was what we'd heard at the time, and we're, I have to say, pretty shocked on Friday to read the story, and then when you go back and look at the story, there were no, there were no um, on-the-record comments in it. So I think that's what Jim Gavin was saying. It was like... If there is someone on the record saying, "Yeah, this is what happened. It's the end of the road. We parted ways," like then, you know, like where did the story come from? That, that whole notion of there being no smoke without fire, I don't think holds any water in this case. This, the whole thing is bizarre, though. I tried to talk to Sean Shanley on Friday, and he would usually be pretty good with um, with contact. If you ever had a 
question for me would answer and they just didn't want to cooperate they didn't answer their phone I tried him I tried the Dublin media manager no answer no return calls no return texts I didn't even bother with the PRO at that stage because it was but clear that, that they were going to ground and had yeah, nothing I mean, to say and that's a pity that I think they definitely need to um, be a bit more proactive when it comes to that kind of stuff so um, I think there's probably a lesson for them to learn in that too like they can just they don't need to be making everything be completely closed off but certainly um, like there are there aren't enough professional PROs around the country who you can just ring and go, this is your full-time job, you have to tell us what the answer is. Or there's no kind of sharing of information um, which would perhaps lead to an end to this kind of um, speculation, which was completely off the mark in this case. On the pitch, a Johnny Heaney goal was key for Galway. They ran out 1-9 to 11 winners over Monaghan goalkeeper Niall Morgan. The hero for Tyrone as they came back from 7 down to secure their first draw in Division 1 of the Allianz Football League. Ross Common had the breeze of their back in the opening half and went into the break with a 6-point lead, 10-4. It finished Tyrone 1-10, Ross Common 1-10, so a goal in the second half, their only score to show. In Division 2, Clare took the two precious points on offer. They defeated uh, by 3-13 to 1-10 in Ennis. Tipperary surprise win over Donegal. Among the standout results of Sunday's Allianz League action, Liam Casey got a goal that proved to be very important. They edged that by 3-9 to 13 points. Meath survived a scare to defeat Armagh 2-13 to 13 points. Well, the axe is dangling precariously over the head of Mauricio Sarri this morning. Chelsea suffered their heaviest defeat in 28 years. They were beaten 6-0 by Manchester City. The last time they lost that bad, Charlie Hawhey was Taoiseach. Terminator <laughs> 2 had just been released. Owen wasn't born yet. And Brian Adams was top of the charts. Their worst Premier League defeat in any competition since 7-0 to Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest in 1991. Unsurprisingly, this was the first question asked of the manager. Yeah, hi Maurizio. Um, after that performance um, and Chelsea's general form, do you fear for your job? Do you think you might be sacked? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. You have to ask the, to the club. I don't know. I am worried about uh, my team. I am worried about uh, the performance. But uh, my, my job uh, is always uh, at risk. <laughs> so I, I am not worried about the club. You have to ask it to the clip. Maurizio, does a defeat like this and another performance like this make you doubt that your style of football can ever work at Chelsea? No, because today I didn't see my football. <laughs> so, uh, no. No, because at the beginning uh, it worked. So now uh, we need only to, to understand the reason uh, why uh, at the moment uh, it isn't uh, working. Does he have a point there where he's saying it wasn't my football today? I mean, is it not his job to get his football on field? <sighs> yeah, I think larger down to how City played up against them, though. City, with and without the ball, were just sensational. Uh, it's been pretty much like that over the last eight weeks, ten weeks, I would say, after that brilliant start that they had to the season. I don't necessarily see this infatuation that he's got with Jorginho playing as that holding midfielder that's going to actually control the game for them. Mm. Because I don't see them controlling games well enough as it is. I just don't see I don't see Chelsea being this side that he's trying to build or it, it, trying to build his Chelsea in his image. It's not working at the moment. It isn't working. And I think going forward, I think that's been the, the thing for them. They're not necessarily creating abundance of chances actually to kill teams off when when sides are actually stopping them play. He's the wrong guy for the job at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I go back to what I said earlier on. What Brian Brian Kerr was saying. I do think he he needs a couple of a couple of transfer windows to get three, his three transfer windows. I would Rid say, and then you maybe look at it Christmas time next year to see. Yeah, Hazard's going to go. It's the way it looks to me. Hazard's gone, and then he might be able to get some a, a chance to reinvest in the side. Yeah. Four cases of equine flu have been discovered at a second stable in Newmarket. Racing in the UK was cancelled last week due to an outbreak of the disease. At trainer Donald McCain's yard, the British Horse Racing Authority, were due to rule today whether or not racing can resume on Wednesday. Instead, they confirmed four cases of the highly contagious disease were discovered among the swab samples provided by the trainer, Simon Chrisford. Several other stables are close by Chrisford's Kremlin House, which has increased concern among officials that the airborne disease may spread. The Guardian report that Chrisford's horses have not had evident contact with McCain's in the past fortnight, the two trainers not having had runners at the same race meeting during this time. Uh, England are sitting pretty at the top of the Six Nations table this morning. They followed up their convincing win over Ireland by hammering a sorry France side 44-8. Head coach Eddie Jones happy with the win but admits they were not near their best. Uh, well I think yeah, when you put yourself in the position after 30 minutes where you've got a bonus point against the a top team, you've done pretty well. Um, and the second half, I thought our performance was even better. Even though we didn't score as, as many points, our focus and our discipline to, to keep France scoreless, I thought, was outstanding. But we felt we probably left 15 to 20 points on the field. So there's a lot more in this team, and, and we understand that, and we're committed to be the very best we can be. Now, Phil Mickelson is closing in on victory at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which will extend into today. The start of play delayed by an hour because of rain and was halted for another two due to a hailstorm, so it meant the final group were unable to finish their round before darkness fell in California. Mickelson produced a blemish-free round and holds six birdies. He's moved to 18-under before play was called off. The American three clear of Paul Casey and Scott Stallings. While well, 86% of football fans who regularly attend matches in the UK have witnessed a racist incident at a game, more than 1,000 football fans took part in a survey by Sky News. They found that 93% of black and minority ethnic supporters have seen racism at football matches. One in three fans, that's 33%, have had abuse directed at them personally. Of those surveyed, only 29% say they have reported a racist incident. London appears to be the worst for this kind of behaviour. According to the survey, 17% of fans in London experiencing racism at every match they attend. All right, Dan, good stuff. Now, rugby next here on OTBAM. Here's Rory Best reacting to Ireland's win against Scotland. Have a look. I think that it was a different kind of pressure, but I think we're probably we're back now to the to the pressure that we, we put on ourselves um, to perform. And I think we'd ideally like to play to play better. We'd like to play with a little bit more fluidity than, than we did today. Um, get on the front foot a little bit more and, and you know, they defensively they came off the line very very hard at us and they were very hard at the breakdown and it was hard to get any kind of flow to the game for us so yeah look we'll, we'll go back to I suppose the pressure that like I said we put on ourselves the coaches put on us and like we we want to be better I think last week was was a strange week because we felt that we'd done alright in some areas but then and been poor in others and a couple of silly mistakes but we also we don't strive for alright we strive for the best we can be and, and last week wasn't it and I think we probably mentally and emotionally took a bigger step forward this week Yeah look I think he's benefiting greatly from, from being down in Munster um, 
he's doing really well there and you can just see him grow into the game and I think the some of the things you see him doing like you know when that ball was scrappy around he went down picked it up and he made something out of nothing and, and that's what Joey can do and, and I thought he, he bossed the forward well in a game that was very very difficult because it was about it really was about inches you know it was about every time you carried about getting an inch because that's all you really were getting I thought Joey did super and that's ultimately you know, what, what we need when you lose a world class player like Johnny so early on for it not to go I just said politely, but for it not to go badly, um, and Joey to step in there and you say to recover from that, like Finn Russell is a is a poacher, and you know, we should have set on that slower ball. You know, we should have taken responsibility and set a wee bit tighter to him. Um, and he sniffed that out, but that Joey just bounced back, and, and he is a cool customer. Alan Quinlan, a very good morning to you. Morning, guys. How are you? Welcome home. Now uh, you were at Murrayfield on Saturday. You could hear Rory Best there talking about. I, I guess his reaction was sort of mixed to Ireland's performance, and I think that's kind of the, the general consensus. Yeah, that was a general feeling after the game. I think it, was, um, it wasn't pretty. There was a lot of mistakes. Both sides were probably cancelling each other out and, and forcing errors. And we didn't see a lot of free-flowing rugby or high number of phases in the game. So I just think the most important thing, and um, for any sports person, after you, after you have a loss, I'm sure Kevin will agree, when it's, sometimes it's just about getting the win the following week. You'd love to... You'd love to get a really brilliant performance and a real good feel factor and, and stuff like that. So they can still take a fair few positives out of the way they responded because um, I think there was uh, you know, a lot of question marks after the England performance and going to Murrayfield was going to be tough. So a lot of people didn't fancy him to get the job done and get a result. And I thought they managed the game pretty well. Um, they look, there's a lot of line breaks in the game and opportunities that they didn't take. And... You know, when there were a number of players out injured as well, so you have five, five, star, five changes from the week before. There's a number of fringe players who are good enough to probably be in the mix to start as well, and they're not available. Then Sexton goes off after, after very early in the game. So a fair bit of disruption, and, and you just sense there was a lot of nerves and, and that bit of fear last week that um, it was just about getting the results. And it wasn't a perfect performance by any manner of means. And... They'll certainly look back at the game and, and be frustrated with certain aspects. And um, But the positives are the changes is more depth. Mm. Carberry getting more exposure at 10. Chris Farrell getting a run out. Sean O'Brien coming back. Jack Conan played well. And, and Quinn Rue, I think, the line-out scenario. So the guys that came in actually played well and they contrib- contributed very, very well and made an impact. Yeah, well, Joe Schmidt was actually speaking about that. And here he is and how Ireland's replacements fared against the Scots. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think Johnny's on his way back. I think there's a lot of guys on their way back, and there's also a lot of guys changing. Um, you know, I, I thought Chris Farrell did really well, and I know the few things went astray uh, around Chris, but I, I felt he did incredibly well because Robbie was kind of in and out on Tuesday. We were hopeful. Almost in on Thursday, we were hopeful with that, with that dead leg, but... Uh, in the end, Chris had to step in at reasonably short notice and, and I thought he did a sterling job. So that, that gives us huge confidence. It gives players around him huge confidence that, that he can step in and, and do a job for us as he did. I thought Quinn Roo stepped in, called the line-out, 100% accuracy in the line-out. Um, Alton Delane got a super steal toward the end as well. So some of those guys who you know, were, were missing, Dev and, and Hendy and Tyg Byrne, but other guys... 
are, are stepping up and, and doing a good job. And that's the confidence we've got to have in the squad because that's the reality uh, that can happen. You know, it seems Murphy's Law. If you get an injury in one position, your next injury is in that same position and very quickly uh, you're, you're looking to get guys involved. You know, Quinn was unlucky not to be named in the squad initially and, and then he's out there and he's bossing the line out. That's, that's a big transformation to have to make. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. So 27 players used across two games and Joe Schmidt was also saying that it'll help vaccinate his squad against what happened in 2015 when we were a bit thin. Yeah, they get, it, that exposure at that level is, is really important. I think, look, at this stage, we'd be fools not to think the championship is probably gone unless something extraordinary happens with England, which is highly unlikely, I think. I fancy him to go to Wales and get a result there. Um, it's a tough place to go, so you never know. That's a really intriguing battle in two weeks. Um, but the points difference, uh, I think they've obviously got maximum points, five points against against us and, and, and against France yesterday. I think they'll get maximum points against Italy, who they play at home, and Scotland at home as well. So that's going to put them on 20. If we were to get three bonus point wins, we still only can get to 19. So it's highly unlikely. It's probably two games they need to lose at this stage. But I think if Ireland can finish uh, by beating Italy, France and at least take it into that last day and, and you know, get a really good performance in Cardiff, even if they lost, it would be an acceptable return. I know three wins doesn't sound good for a team that were so dominant last year, but um, they just got to go to Cardiff. I, that's, why, that's why the Scottish game was so important. If you, if, you, if you lost that, there's an incredible amount of negativity and it's hard to respond sometimes from that. Uh, it'd be kind of lingering over them. And psychologically as well, to beat Scotland with who probably were close enough to full strength. I think WP Nell was, was probably the only one that would start in their team that was missing, where Ireland had a number of injuries. and um, So with the World Cup in mind as well, it's not easy. And Scotland will look at that performance. Gregor Townsend said it afterwards that just crucial errors. But I think that came from good pressure from Ireland. That's what I was just about to ask. So like the, basically... When you look at the way Scotland came up against Ireland on Saturday, Rory Best was saying there that they were quite quick off the line, just like England were. Was it a, a different manner in which they were quick off the line? They just weren't able to execute a, uh, as good as England, or were Ireland better prepared to, to go against when, that? And, and, and uh, I'd say Kevin, Kevin knows this as well. If you're playing really well and you're on a good run and you've won a championship and you play a team, any team you play then, they raise their game and their energy is different, isn't it? And they... They go, do anything to stop you. And that's understandable because if I'm playing against the All Blacks, you're doing the same if they're world champions. Um, so that's what England did last week. Stop Ireland. First of all, assess how you can stop their flow because if Ireland, Ireland have proven that they're a very good possession-based team and they're patient and they recy- recycle the ball well and, and they wait for their moments to strike and they can really punish you then if you switch off. And England just didn't give Ireland time to settle last week. And that's been well documented. Scotland are going to do the same thing. Slow their ball down, get off the line, get in Johnny Sexton's face, the playmaker, get up an Aki who's good hands as well and brings other people into the game and, and then try and drive them backwards. And So I think we need to figure out a little bit uh, a better way of coping with that because it's we did struggle a little bit at times. Now... On other occasions on Saturday, I thought our, the width was very good and they were patient and maybe going backwards a step or two and then getting momentum going forward. And then they got space on the edges and we didn't execute that. 
Um, which, but the try, Stockdale's try was, you know, fantastic. Will it happen again? No, because probably teams are going to be wary of that now. But, you know, Joe Schmidt has come up with those plays over the years and, you know, one of them wins a big game for you nearly every time. So I think we need a little bit more variety in our kicking game and we need to be much more accurate in it because teams have figured figured out that it has been a big strength, the box kick. Um, and if you win that and turn, turn Ireland back... Um, that that maybe frustrates them. Um, England kicked forty-seven times yesterday, which is far more than Ireland have ever yeah. kicked in a game, or any international side has kicked in a game. But you don't tend to notice as much on because most of their kicks were on the money, and they win the ball back, and then they play off it quickly. So it's not really seen as a negative. Um, some of their positional kicking was superb. They isolated the French back three, who were deplorable, to be honest. But you know, when you put good kicks in, the crowd get up and they clap rather than mm. bad kicks. They go, uh, the yeah, they boo, and, and, and that's unfortunately the accuracy at the moment. So I just think a little bit more territory. I'd love to see a bit more variation and, um, you know, have Carney or Earls or Stockdale been an option to take a little bit of pressure off Sexton because sometimes when he gets the ball, it's just teams are just herring out and him, putting pressure on him. Yeah, like Tony Ward this morning in the Irish Independent saying that there's shades of Charlton's Ireland and Schmidt's tactics, but winning is all that matters. I guess that plays into your idea of variety and a lack. Yeah, and look, he, he, he's... Wardy's right in, in, in probably saying that, but there's reasons why it's difficult um, and they haven't kind of hit their straps yet. They've traditionally been a bit slow to the blocks for the Six Nations, which is, you know, f- frustrating, I think, Um but I think they need a little bit more variety. But when you slow Ireland down, that's probably the problem. Um, what do they do then? And trying to recycle and regenerate. Um, so Just on slowing Ireland down, like it's obviously been a, a factor of the last two weeks. You'd obviously have a, a much better ride than most people on this. Like at the breakdown, that is our strength. And it seems that we've been getting little change out of that area in the last couple of days. Like, is, is it being refereed differently, the, the breakdown that's uh, allowing teams to slow us so down? I, I, I genuinely mean this. Sometimes Ireland are a victim of their own success um, from a discipline point of view. Um, you know, if you assess the breakdowns over the last two weeks, a lot of the clean-outs are in from the side, um, negating the Irish threat of, of slowing the ball down. We haven't got very um, very few, if any, turnovers in the last two weeks. I think there was one picked up on Saturday where Johnny Gray came in, clearly cleaned Alton Delan out from the side um, when he came on near the end of the game. But there was... There was. I just think we're we're probably too clean at times and too uh, disciplined. That the penalty count again was f- six penalty, five penalties, something or something like, that, like yeah. four penalties the week before. Given the pressure they were under, it's it's phenomenal, and they're not getting the breaks with some of their good discipline because opposition teams are breaking up their mall. There was they tried to mall again on Saturday, and I thought Scottish players were coming in from all sorts of angles and offside and. And the mall has just become a mess in modern day rugby. There's no, it's not, it's it's completely negated by people coming in from all sorts of angles and sides and holding on then when they come in around the wrong side and just stopping that that scenario. So I think Ireland have got to figure out ways of dealing with that for sure. But how do you do that? Um, be a bit cynical themselves yeah. and and around the opposition, I think, and and be a bit more aggressive maybe and and highlight it more with referees and. Uh, but it's tricky, look, uh, you know, even against England on a couple of occasions, Irish players got their hands on the ball and looked like a possible turnover or poach and just 
English players come from the side, even guys retreating back and they just clean you out and it's not being picked up. We're not squeaky clean now, don't get me wrong, but I just think there's some decisions. Ireland are very, very disciplined. They're the best international, the most disciplined international side in world rugby and that's been consistent for a long, long time and uh, a lot of stuff. It's tricky to pick them all up. I think the assistant referees need to need to pick that stuff up. But there's a lot of side entries, and there was a load of cleanouts on the side on Saturday. Now Ireland, Peter Romani came in from the side as well. Was probably lucky not to get a yellow card for the one in the first half there, five five yards out. Um, but it's it's tricky. And look, it's just a little bit of a blip these last couple of weeks. But you've one win from two against two very good sides. One. Um, one of those games was away from home, and it was they were always it was always going to be a difficult start. So, with the the unsettling nature of of, of the personnel in the last two weeks, um, I think it's not a bad return. Yeah, it's and there's room for improvement. I think, and they'll know that themselves. It's the best time of the year for some disruption. Yeah, and I think going to Italy now is a chance to uh, to kind of build a bit of confidence. Hopefully, um, Italy can be very, very sticky and tricky and difficult at home, and they showed that against Wales at the weekend, albeit Wales had made 10 changes. I actually think Ireland should pick as strong a team as possible for that. Right. They're all, they all have a weekend off next week. And Connor. there's a week off after the Italy game as well. Yeah, so they have another break there. So um, then there's... No, there's no week off. It's Italy. Oh, yeah, there is. My apologies. It's Italy week off then France and Wales now there's a six turn day turnaround after Wales so that little block is a is going to be um, a tough one on them but uh, they've plenty of time to rest and recover maybe one or two players might change Henshaw and Ringrose uh, coming back will be a big boost Tigburn looks like he's going to be available Andrew Conway maybe um, so having those players back available will be important and I just think they need to maybe take the shackles and unleash a, a little bit of pressure from themselves and and get a bit of a flow going again. Just to touch quickly on the backs, I, got, I thought Chris Farrell was brilliant again on Saturday. Rob Kearney, one of the, the stand-up performers, I think, in most people's eyes. Is that question done now at full-back, or would you almost give Robbie Henshaw another go at full-back just to finally close the book on that experiment? Not, not here, not in the Six Nations, I think, not at the moment. Um, it could happen. Uh, Joe could put him in there at full-back. <coughs> Look, he's the expert. He's the one that that we laud when he does well and if something go, if tactically something is not right and, and the loss we, there was way too much too many question marks last week in my opinion but and but Carney just showed how how important positioning and being in the right place um, is is Robbie Hench is an incredible athlete and it, it's it's a position that takes a little bit of time and we saw France really badly exposed in that kind of backfield yesterday against England with Hugé and Pen. Hugé is a winger, he's playing fullback. Penno is a centre, he's playing in the wing. Uh, Fiku is a centre, he's playing in the wing. So they have a back three of two centres and a winger, uh, which is just totally wrong, the, the shape. And uh, So he may go back to Robbie Henshaw. And, and, and I said it last week, a lot of the problems that Robbie Henshaw had last week stem from the, problem, the issues up front for Ireland. Owen Farrell getting loads of time, being able to pick that bit of space. So it wasn't as bad as maybe it's made out. Um, having Ringrose, Henshaw and Bundyaki on the field at the same time is still a kind of a, a nice prospect mm. going forward. So, But Rob Carney showed that you know, he's been the best and the, and the most consistent and probably the sharpest fullback we've, 
we've had for the last 10 years. Like one of the theories around Robbie Henshaw fullback was getting all of Ireland's best available players on the pitch at once. So obviously when you had Rain Rose and Aki there and Kearney maybe not fully fit, it kind of made sense at the time to kind of shoehorn uh, Henshaw in there. Are you thinking at all about that possibility with Joey Carberry, given the way he reacted, especially uh, in the second half of the weekend, to yeah, somehow well, get him into the team? He has that little bit of X factor and that bit of uh, that ability to unlock a defence and, and give a, even though he gave a, an intercept pass, but just bring players in around him, even from the full-back position, um, the way he swerves and carries and stuff like that. Um, and he was very effective for Leinster last year, so he is another option there. If is Rob- he second-choice full-back? I don't know who's second choice fullback. Andrew Conway can play very well at fullback because he's played there a lot as well. Um, he's more familiar with that role. Um, I don't know. Mike Haley could could come into the mix. Uh, he's he's been pretty good for Munster. Will Addison. So there's a there's a few options, but the probably concern on is that there's nobody start there's no starting fullback in in any of the four provinces aside from Rob Carney, who's probably your first choice at Leinster fullback. There's no other fullback starting regularly. Unless, like, New Sephora has a word with Damak uh, Farland and says, listen, start playing with Addison a fullback. Yeah, I don't know. What, what, maybe that'll happen in the latter part of the season, that, um, given the World Cup and stuff, but we'll wait and see. Um, I just thought Carney's tough, isn't he, to come mm-hmm. back. and He probably should have stayed in the outside when he made that line break and passed to, to Stockdale rather than coming back inside. But it's fine. It's small margins, and you just sense... Those few errors and mistakes were, were going to happen on Saturday, given the pressure they were, pressure they were under to get a result. We've got a comment in here from Cord Sheehan, who asks, are France worse than Italy now? Italy seem to be more organised a team. I think so. Um, it's, it, they're shocking, and it's really disturbing to see it, because I tell you, France in the first half against Wales, last the opening game of the Six Nations, I went, wow, they're back. This is what we all want to see. Even I watched that game. I, I watched the game. They were brilliant in the first I, half. I couldn't believe the turnaround in that second half of the match. It was unreal. It was shocking. And, um, you know, people, I, I grew up in the, uh, watching France in the 80s, where they won probably in a 10 or 11 year period, eight, seven or eight championships. And they're just some iconic players and incredibly exciting players. And, then you start playing against them and you have this, they have this aura and you're kind of like so fearful and then you beat them for the first time and you think they're, they're human and they're normal. And then, you know, with, the, with European Cups and stuff like that, when we regularly started to beat French teams, you, you, you kind of expose their vulnerability and weaknesses and maybe their lack of technique and accuracy around certain areas because they always had this flamboyant way of playing the game. But... Rugby has changed so much nowadays. If you're inaccurate um, at the breakdown, you're not organising the fence, you don't have an incredibly uh, good attitude. When I say good attitude, to, to not, not just what happens on the field, but your conditioning, your fitness, your detail. It's kind of like going to complete science, the game, you know, and they're just not in great shape, the players. They're not, they just don't seem to be fit enough. They don't seem to have that. Like, there was four or five players yesterday for How France. How can that be at that level? The, the problem they have, Kevin, is um, the divide between the club club system and the national team in France. The clubs are probably owned by private... They're all owned by private owners. So they don't care about France. They just want who they sign and their players to play well for their team and don't get injured and don't go to France. It's a disruption for them. And... Uh, 
the, there's a disconnect between the conditioning for the top players so they can't kind of pull their 35, 40 players right, together yeah. like we can in Ireland and have little mini camps and have a lot of uh, cohesion around their diet their nutrition their fitness levels um, and there's too many foreign players in France so they can, it's amazing that Camille Lopez who's a, a decent player but he's more of a kick and fly half and they've had so many problems with finding um, a an out half that can stay in the team for a number of years over the last 10 year period it's it's crazy but still France could go to the World Cup and get to a final this year yeah. that's, that's the enigma of French, French rugby Look, we're hardly what, saying that Italy are better than France on a continuous level now are we? No I don't think so but it's very concerning because the team that went out there yesterday and, and Jack Prunell has to take um, ownership of this you play four centres across your back line you know you can play you tend to move wingers into centre if you have issues in the centre, but moving centres out to wing. Now, I know Penno is probably the exception, and he plays, 13. He plays 13 for Clermont. Um, he plays in the wing sometimes as well, but he's more of a centre, but he's a really good winger. But the other, Fiku is not a winger, he's a centre. Um, Huge is a winger. I know he's played a little bit of full-back before on occasions, but it's Vahamahina is a monster up front. He's six foot eight, 19 stone. And he just has four tackles in the game. Mm. It's just not good enough. That tells its own story. Um, so it's 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 worrying and it's concerning because I'd love to see the French team doing really well. And look, they're capable. The the, the funny thing is they could come to Dublin in a couple of weeks' time and and you know throw caution to the wind and make a, he could make a raft of changes again, and they could be brilliant because. Individually, they're very talented players, but I just don't think they're conditioned enough, fit enough. They don't play at this high intensity that um, maybe the Pro 14 or the the Premiership is is at. There's a lot of kicking. The game is slowed down a lot, and um, it, it it tells its own story yesterday. Because if you're up on the stand, you're looking down at the team, and you just see the energy levels and the fitness of England's kick chase, where they're just harassing. If the ball is kicked through. It's like, if I don't sprint here, I'm going to get dropped because there's a coach watching me and you, you just sense that you don't have that kind of pressure from the, from the French coaching team and it's not in their culture to be in your face and aggressive like that and, and running your socks off all day long. Yeah. And, um, you know, but they're still capable like they did in Wales. If you give them a bit of ball and they're very powerful and they can get on a bit of a flow, but then I just thought it was... They were abysmal in that second half against Wales and Paris at home and shocking yesterday. I guess it's the last thing the Six Nations needed was another terrible team because last year the discussion was around Italy perhaps getting relegated and Georgia getting put into the Six Nations and now it seems you've got another team heading towards uh, the, the, the basement dwellers of the Six Nations. But like, yeah. there is a chance that like, they're looking at the World Cup to 2023 as a, as a home World Cup. To be fair, they're trying to bring in some young players in Intimac and Dupont and Ramos... Um, you know they're not. It's not as if they're bringing back Bamba yesterday. He's only twenty to tight it, but this has gone on now for three or four years. When there's been so much change, chopping and changing of coaches, of players, there's absolutely no continuity in selection. Um, you're always going to add a few guys, but it's there's ten out and there's ten in. It, it, it's every year. It's it's just it's a pity because they just can't settle on a on a steady group, mm. and you know. They should be playing Intermac and Dupont as their nine and ten. They should try and build a team around them. I think Intermac at 
top level test rugby at the moment is not big enough and physical enough to be a 12. Um, I think he should be a 10 for, for France and Dupont is, is a special player with that little bit of X factor and he made a difference when he came on yesterday as opposed to Para and Claremont who are just kicking the ball away all the time. They, but again, in their defence, they've no options. They've just got to kick it away because there's no French guys just continuously running, making carries, getting over the gain line, wanting to get up, showing a desire um, to go again. And um, that's a big difference from But it's a pity, but I thought England... On the other I'll hand, give a bit of credit. Massive credit. Look, they were they were full of you know vigor and intent yesterday, right from the get go. Owen Farrell is just everything he touches now is turning to gold because he's Packer on the front foot, and they look like they're really enjoying it again. And you contrast that twelve months ago, where you know they were in turmoil and they were that you sense that panic around their performances, and they were they've lost con- they lost control of how to win games and control games. They had a better November, a few new players in, and a number of players back. Billy Vunapolo uh, back, and, and they've, they've found a gem in Mark Wilson and, and Tom Curry at 20, the number seven yesterday, phenomenal player as a 20-year-old. So And two laggy back makes a huge difference. So I think it's England's championship now, unfortunately, but you have to give Eddie Jones credit the way he's kind of turned around a bad 2018. I think they're going to have a good 2019. Yeah, I think so too. That game against Wales on the next round is going to be an absolute cracker. Quinny, thanks a million for popping into us this morning. Uh, so we've got another few minutes here left on OTBAM. We're going to be looking ahead briefly to the Champions League midweek fixtures with Kevin just a sec. First, here's Brian Kerr talking about Maurizio Sarri's future at Chelsea. And it was just the brilliance, the individual brilliance and the collective understanding and awareness of where each other are, where the positions, the movement of positions to find space. But Chelsea did make it easy for them. I mean, Aspilcoeta struggled against Sterling. Guerrero got man of the match, probably rightfully so. But Sterling wouldn't have been too far behind him. He was involved in main the goals. His running, direct running, his speed and pace was causing trouble all the time for Chelsea. But for Chelsea's midfield didn't do their jobs. Jorginho didn't do his job. Kante did all right, got about. Though they are still in three competitions. They have the Carabao Cup final to come, they have Manchester United to come in the FA Cup and they're still in the Europa League. Does that make it more or less likely that they may actually choose to change manager right now? Do you think a change of manager could give this Chelsea group a bounce for the final three months of the season? Well, the, 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 the decision makers in the club have backed Sardi in terms of bringing in Higuain because he obviously didn't fancy Morata uh, and he doesn't fancy Giroud either. He doesn't see them as, 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 as um, I suppose, consistent goal scorers and Morata's confidence, confidence had, had drained away over, over this season and uh, they've moved him on so they backed him in, in getting him and they backed him in taking in Giorgino for huge sum mm. of money from Napoli as well so it would seem a bit a bit odd but but um, not unlike Chelsea though to get rid of a manager I would say the players are still playing for him I, I don't think he's doing himself any favour by being critical and saying a few I thought he said a couple of silly things about Hazard and I think in the position where Hazard is, 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 is iffy about whether he's going to stay or not, I think he needs to say positive things about him all the time. I don't think there's... I don't see any sign of, um, of what, what became obvious in Marino's latter days and, and towards the end of Conte's era as well where the players have got fed up with the manager and are thrown in the towel. I don't think that's the case as yet. 
Yeah, Brian Kerr there speaking to Nathan Murphy after the game yesterday. Kev, I wonder, does any part of you feel sorry for Mirzio Sarri? Um, well, yeah, when, when you're not getting great results and things are going against you and you go up against a city side like that, playing like that yesterday, uh, yeah, of course, there's, there is definite uh, part of me that we're feeling sorry for him. But I think in general, that's the, that's the policy that they've had at the club over the last 10 years. I was saying it earlier on, they, they, they're, they're, they're a, they've got a policy of bringing a coach in, they don't change the structure of the club, head coach comes in with maybe two or three of, of his immediate staff, the whole structure of the club doesn't change. They're quite happy to do that. I think he still needs a bit more time yet. Um, I do feel as though that Higuain's going to be a success. I do feel that. He actually looks as lean as I've seen him in a number of years. He looks fit to me when, when, I've, when I've seen him. I saw him playing for um, was it Real Madrid, even at Juve. He looked heavy. I think he looks fit. So I think he's going to score goals. It's just yesterday they came up against a side where they thought they could actually go and beat them. Yes, the players that they've got, Hazard spoke about it. I was listening to Hazard on Friday. I read a piece that he'd done in the, in the London Times with, with Henry Winter on Friday saying, no, we go there, we go to Chelsea, so we go to City and we, we can win the game. No problem at all. We've got players to go and win the game. Clearly, the system that they're playing at the moment is, is it's far, they're far too easily to get at. Sides can get at them readily, they can create chances against them because they're far too open. So you're doing that against City, what's going to happen? City, with the creative plays that they've got in that side, the pace they've got in that side, they're going to open you up. So in that for yesterday, I do feel sorry for me, maybe the recent results. I do feel as though he needs a bit more time though, yeah. Mm. Let's talk about the Champions League. Of course, you can watch it all on Virgin Media this week. Manchester United against PSG tomorrow at 8 o'clock is probably the fixture of the entire round, really, for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there is reports this morning that he is the man for the job and Manchester United are going to wait till the end of the season to announce that. It's, it's obviously, at this moment in time, close to impossible to overlook him in terms of being a candidate for the job. If they beat PSG, he's going to be the front-runner for it. But how big is this fixture for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of getting that job? Well, clearly, two months ago, when the draw was made, you don't fancy United. You don't fancy them in any way, shape, or form. You can't even make a case or an argument for them qualifying and getting through to the, to the next round. Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking, yeah, I fancy them. At home, you get a positive result in the first leg. Neymar out of out of the game. PSG not necessarily flying. They got beat against Lyon last weekend. They had a win at the weekend, one uh, nil. They're not necessarily scoring an, an, an abundance of goals. So, I think in general, I think Man United have got a serious chance of winning this game. Now the players that they're at the level now that we expect, expect them to be at. Martial, you expected them to be at this level. Clearly, the relationship had broken down with Mourinho. He wanted to leave the club. Marcus Rashford, another Pogba. The form that they're showing, they could quite easily now go and win this game. I, I, as I said, I still feel as though PSG are rightly favourites with the talent that they've got throughout the side. I think they're probably a little bit stronger defensively as well. But as we've seen with PSG in recent years, when they come to the big Champions League games on the big nights, the level that they've been playing at, at club is not uh, sorry in the league is not the level that they're going to play against in the Champions League and that mm. gap has been too hard for them to bridge because consistently the, the players that they've been coming up against have not been at the level that they'll face this, uh, in, this in this round I think United could win it yeah uh, It's very interesting looking at both managers going into this game because I think Solskjaer and Tuchel both kind of represent the new wave management the sort yeah. of uh, very high emotional intelligence that we see in a lot of new managers where they care for their players like uh, Tuchel you can see him kind of like taking Neymar put his arm around Neymar and think 
and had, had a laugh and joke around with him or after one of the group games, I yeah. can't remember. And it's kind of reminiscent of, of what Solskjaer is doing at the moment. I don't want to say he's mates with the players, uh, but it, yeah. it, it's certainly vastly different to how Jose Mourinho or yeah. even Mauricio Sarri does. Well, and you look at PSG um, last season under, under Unai Emery, the, the, there was a massive broken relationship between the playing staff and the manager. It, it clearly was there. They didn't respect him. Now, whatever Tuchel's done going in there, whatever he's, he's done to get the best out of that side, they're playing a good brand of football, much more high-tempo football than, than, than what they played under Unai Emery, the way that I would see it. Um, and the players are clearly enjoying it. Killing Mbappe, when you've got a talent like that as well, we know he's one of the best, if not the best in the world, particularly at his age anyway, he certainly is. So he's... He's someone that will be looking at. Cavani's goal-scoring record has been sensational. But another one, Cavani, at Champions League level, you and Jer spoke earlier on to me about, uh, or certainly Jer mentioned it, about Mane. Mane might be a one-in-three chance man, scores one goal every three chances. I think Cavani's the same. Mm. He misses a lot of chances, Cavani. Given his goal-scoring record, it's sensational. But he does miss chances, and he's missed big chances in big games in the Champions League. So that's maybe something that, that there's a huge question mark over him. For all that I'll talk about PSG, and I'll give you all the pros and cons about PSG, this has to be about Man United at home. Man United in the Champions League at home have been dreadful. Whoever they've played against, they've not showed any. Look at how they went out against Sevilla last season, even this season, playing against young boys. The Juve game, they were totally outplayed in the Champions League. So now, against top-class opposition, can they create a great, vibrant atmosphere at Old Trafford? That's what I probably can. I, well, they, they, they simply can, yeah, they, of course they can. With, given the form that they're in, given the, the vibe that's around the club now and you talk about Solskjaer and what he's done and how he's regenerated this side, I think this is a great chance. United, get, get a win at home, then you take your chances when you go over to Paris in a few weeks' time, yeah. Yeah, it's really encouraging signs. Just a, a quick word uh, on Spurs, just reading on ESPN this morning. Like, you, you kind of know the, the extent to which Spurs have obviously improved, but the article says on ESPN that the win uh, yesterday took Spurs to 60 points this season. That's actually 11 more than they had at the same yeah. time last season, which is a bit more than I thought. It's 7 more than in 2016, yeah. 17, and 9 best more. Ever. It's the best ever they've had. Exactly. But it's also just like 9 more than 2015-16, and then 15 more than 2014-15. It's not just a little bit better than previous seasons. Mm. It's a good bit better. They haven't signed a player since Lucas Moore last year. I know, it's incredible. It is. And, and, and it shows the level that that, that Liverpool and, and City are at. Of course it does, it shows the level. So there was a lot of panic around this transfer window as well, particularly with, with Kane getting injured, with Deli Ali getting injured, with, with Son Hyung Min being away. And he's not panicked. He knows he's got to work within a, with a budget there. We know the stadium's overrunning in the, in the costs. So he's had, to, he's had to hold himself. I think there's a great chance. I watched that game yesterday. Um, I watched the game yesterday before I went out, actually. And I thought, I thought Leicester caused him a lot of problems. I thought Leicester quite easily could have taken something from that game you know Jamie Vardy coming off the bench at 1-0 down to take a penalty then miss it uh, his first kick of the ball then he scores they were causing problems again they were creating chances so the one thing for Tottenham I, I do think vulnerability defensively but look at Dortmund Dortmund 3-0 up with 10-15 minutes to go at the weekend they conceded a, they lost three goals against Hoffenheim so they're, they're vulnerable defensively themselves so this game is definitely a flip of the coin personally I fancy Spurs if Kane which the talk is he could be on the bench. There was talk of him coming back at the weekend. There is talk he could be back. Certainly getting back for that second second leg, getting back for the second one over there in Dortmund, I think they've got a chance. I, I said it's flip of the coin. If I'm going to swing with anyone, I think 
Tottenham have got a better squad than, than uh, Dortmund. I think I think Spurs will win it. Right, OK. Well, that's uh, Wednesday at uh, 8 o'clock. And also, at the same time, you've got Ajax against Real Madrid. Tomorrow's games, then, are Roma against Porto and Manchester United against PSG. All of them live on Virgin Media. Which one are you at? You're at Old Trafford, are you? Old Trafford, yes. And then I'm in studio on Wednesday, yeah. Nice so, one. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's great to have it back. Thanks for a million for coming in to Go us man. this morning. Brilliant. Yeah, great to see you Pleasure. bright and early. Uh, Kevin Kilban there. Then that is all of us. Uh, and we're all done from OTB AM this morning. We're back tomorrow morning from 7.45am, of course. More preview to the big game between Manchester United and PSG tomorrow evening. Plenty of uh, rugby as well coming up, no doubt, throughout the rest of the week. And loads and off the ball tonight from 7 o'clock on your radios. Monday Night Rugby, the football show, and everything else from a pretty significant weekend of sport. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye-bye for now. So if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45am.